Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Stacks. This is Jay. The year is 2019, and only Shanna survived. See, it works because in the movie I'm referencing, the thing that they say survived clearly is not the only thing that survived. I don't even remember what it was. To be quite honest. Oh, oh, yeah, it starts out with, it's 2019, then a pause, dot, 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 and only the animals survived. Well, they're 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 meaning like the people are animals, and like they they are, and and it's about the discourse between human and religion, and how religion is all this. Anyway, that's the second film. Oh, that's gonna be that's that's gonna go places. It's just a very strange polemic, very much a, a movie that's about how uh, religion sucks. Like, hey, religion, what are we doing this religion shit? And it's it's like. <laughs> You know, it's 1998. It's, come on, we're 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 2,000 years on. We're still doing this. Come on, come on, guys. Uh, it's it's a 4chan post of a movie. A very strange thing. But our first film, actually, before we get to our first film, I have a quick uh, correction regarding something I was talking about uh, last week. So, Trouble okay. with Harry, uh, not Audrey Hepburn. It's uh, Shirley MacLaine's first movie. Oh, okay. Not not Audrey, but Shirley. Yeah, she's really good. Mm, cool, cool. So our first movie this week is The Great Yokai War, the last of the uh, Arrow Yokai box set. Although a sequel to this has come out uh, in twenty twenty one. Oh my god! Okay. <laughs> yeah, I apparently it did really well in Japan, but it hasn't got really any sort of international release yet. Oh damn. But made by Takashi Miike, uh, a direct sequel to this. Okay, uh, that's wild. Well, he it did end with a sequel hook, kind of. It does, but yeah, it's also 16 years later. Uh, obviously, our kid character's grown up now. Yeah, yeah. Uh, although this one was made 50 years after the previous one. But this one wasn't a sequel. <laughs> this one is totally unrelated. It's sort of a remake. Sort of. Kind of, kind of. And sort of a remake of all of them. I mean, it's usually cited as being a remake of Spook Warfare specifically, and it kind of is, but it's sort of its own thing, and it's also sort of just drawing on all previous yokai literature. And everything that could even be sort of considered yokai, uh, there's a bunch of characters that are just from other Mike movies that are included in the mob. <laughs> yeah, you, you said in the chat that there was like... 1.7 million different yokai in the movie and i'm like i don't believe you that's that can't be right i believe then i watched it i believe it's 1.2 million is what it's claimed oh okay well 1.7 million is like no but 1.2 million yeah maybe maybe so many oh yeah you know it's it's huge there is a mob of them and there's definitely more than a hundred monsters and i think that's the point is like this isn't a hundred monsters this is a million monsters because we can do <laughs> cgi and we can have monsters stretching literally to the horizon and not just in a line not just the the ghostly conga line into the sky which they do but <laughs> it's it's more just you know it's the mosh pit of the monsters it's yeah, it's like like the swarm of locusts of monsters descending upon uh I Tokyo. guess this one yeah, this one giant monster. So, 
this one, it's weird. It's got a very strange energy because it is very silly. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it is it's, very silly. It's kind of a kid's movie, but it's really violent, like gruesomely violent, gory. A whole bunch of just really twisted stuff happens. This poor fucking cat thing just gets hurt all the time. And it's it's not it's never funny. The the Senekasuri. Yeah, uh, they 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 get massacred. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's weird. It's like Gamera. It's and Gamera even gets a shout out in the movie. And surprise, (laughs) Gamera doesn't turn up in the mob somewhere. Because Gamera could be a yokai. Uh, Probably a licensing thing. Otherwise, I bet he would. Yeah. Well, this is yeah Shochiku, which is not. Yeah, I I think it's uh, Daie that has Gamera. I don't know who made, like, I'm I'm not sure if Daie is still around, and there are modern Gamera movies, like a bunch of them, so I don't know. Hmm. But anyway, uh, it it has that flavor, it has the Gamera flavor, that uh, kiddiness, but, you know, it's uh, (laughs) super violent and weird and just (laughs) deep on folklore that is just totally foreign to me. Yeah, um, I never figured out what was up with the beans, did you? No, I don't really get the beans thing. <laughs> I mean, I searched Azuki beans on on Google, and it tells me they don't exist. Like, it's not even a word. <laughs> they say, like, did you mean Azumi beans? I'm like, no, I did not. So <laughs> I couldn't really figure out a whole lot about that. It's just, it's sort of a running gag. Maybe it's related to other versions of yokai. Uh, there's just... Uh, it's it's a big thing. Like the 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 azuki beans are absolutely central. Oh yeah, it, it's Key. something that's going on in the background of the whole movie, pretty much from the beginning. But it doesn't pay off until the very end. Yeah, I mean it's just there. It's it's a consistent important thing, uh, and it's very culturally specific. All of it, like everything, like not just this stuff, but. It, it kind of requires a knowledge of yokai that is cultural. Like, uh, there's references to comic book characters. This uh, heavily, heavily borrows from the uh, manga series uh, by Shigeru Mizuki, and it has Shigeru Mizuki show up a couple times, and they go to the Shigeru Mizuki Museum. <laughs> so you kind of need to be aware of all that stuff. Like, you need to sort of know where all that is and it's just sort of the traditional concepts of yokai versus modern yokai as like a commercial thing yeah yeah our um our villain is weirdly modern our villain is our, our villain's just weird because it seems like he has like this deep backstory but we never really see it well he is a character a pre-existing character from uh, a famous novel Oh, uh, okay. I 80s. see what you mean then. Holy shit! Yeah, I didn't know about that. Yeah, so Kato uh, Yasunari, Kato Kato Yasunari, he is the main villain in a really famous uh, epic fantasy called Taito Monogatari. Oh, so th- that's the thing. Like all of these characters are from places. Like they're they're not invented for this movie. They're you know traditional characters. They're characters from popular manga. They're characters from other Mike works. They're just from everywhere. And it's like, hey, why don't we just sort of be inclusive about what is a yokai? You know, it, it doesn't need to be strictly traditional. It's sort of opening up the boundaries of what is a yokai. 
Okay, wow. I uh, I had no idea about that, so I see what you mean about needing to know all these different cultural references. Holy shit. Yeah, and it's like it, you got a whole glossary, the, the the deep booklet that comes with this arrow set. Seven pages of it are just a character list for this movie. <laughs> there's so many. There's yeah, there's just tons of them, like a lot of actually fairly central characters and then just big group scenes where everybody sort of interacts. And then everybody's like, no, we're not going to do that piece. <laughs> Did you happen to watch the extra SOV shorts that are included in this? There's four oh, of them. No, I didn't. So two starring Kawataro, of course, the the uh, Kappa. Okay, yeah. There's two with him. I, I, there's one where he's arrested by the police and being interrogated. <laughs> That's pretty fun. Oh, man. I should have seen that. And there's also just two that are, they're weird. Like, they're they are pretty much improv. They're very lo-fi. They're people in just, like, rubber suits running around. There's, like, two of them that are just there in, I don't know, school school uh, field. You know, there, there's a fence and, you know, cared for grass. And you, it's clearly just, you know, suburban neighborhood. And it's just a bunch of people running around. And then a narrator saying what they're fighting over. It's weird. <laughs> Really lo-fi, but you know that, that's the thing with Mike. He will sort of go to those extremes, like with the, the DOA series. One of those was an SOV movie. Oh yeah, that one. Um, the, third the third one, I believe. Yeah. yeah, the one where they turn into birds at the end. No, they turn into a penis robot. Right. No, that's the that's the robot one. The second one, they turn into birds. Yeah, the second one, they they turn into birds, and the first one. Uh, a guy pulls a missile launcher out of his ass while the other guy kamehameha's him. Right, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're they're all fucking nuts. That, that's the Mikkei <laughs> way. Yep, uh, he's good at directing live-action anime, because that's, that's what this is. This is an anime. Oh, heavily. And, uh, well, it's, it's boring from anime, it's boring from manga, and, like, uh, directly. It, it's, you know, borrowing those characters. It's a tribute to yokai manga in, in a very real way. Mm-hmm. Uh, what one of the what, one of the things I really like in the Kawataro shorts, uh, the the one where he's arrested, he gets his one phone call and he calls up the Azuki bean washer guy. Okay. <laughs> who immediately hangs up on him because he's annoying. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, if that Kappa called me up, I'd be like, no, I don't think so. He is. He's too much. He's a real too much kind of character. Yeah, I think I liked the Kappa in the old one better. He's more fun in the old one. Here, like, they really go uh, hard on how irritating uh, the Kappa would be. It's it's the same characterization. It's just this is the one that sort of uh, leans on how irritating it would be. It's not softened for child consumption the way the original ones were. Yeah, because aren't Kappas supposed to be really a pain in the ass? Yeah, I think they're supposed to be just a... Uh, too much you know they're 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 really uh just a very persistent irritant Mm -hmm. so it opens with what appears to be kind of like a post-apocalyptic landscape just there's ruined skyscrapers and there's this red sky and the voice says is is anyone here yeah so is this the future is this hell i couldn't figure out what this place actually is where uh, the bad guys doing all the shit this is the end of the movie oh okay 
it's basically just the end of the movie. This is uh, the the right at the end of the climax. You know, when when all of the skyscrapers are ruined in the oh, middle okay. of Tokyo. Yeah, this is just the end. It's it's a weird flash forward for no apparent reason. Yeah, that threw me off because I, I thought he was amassing his power in like some kind of underworld, and that's where this was. This was before he, he does everything. Yeah, this is a flash forward. I don't really get where he's supposed to be most of the time because. He flies the monster city over to Tokyo from some mountains, which, I mean, it looks like fucking Mordor, but yeah, I don't know. It, yeah, that's a, kind of what I thought, like uh, industrial Mordor. Yeah, it's it's like that, and I mean, probably drawing on that as well. <laughs> probably. Yeah. And the the other thing that it really reminds me of is Time Bandits. Do you ever see Time Bandits? Oh, I don't think so. It's like the big Terry Gilliam kids movie in the 80s. It's got mostly dwarfs, like little people, and a kid on a time travel adventure. Like they go visit Robin Hood. They hang out with Napoleon and shit. That doesn't sound familiar, but it could. Who knows? It's one I saw really young and it kind of messed me up because it's twisted at the end. Uh, the kid wakes up to, uh, you know, spoilers for Time Bandits from 1987. But uh, <laughs> at the end, the the kid sort of wakes up from the dream, sort of. But like his parents are part of it, and it's in in the dream or in this sort of weird flux reality that like God shows up at some point and sets some things right. But his parents never trust him. So oh. <laughs> there, there's like a microwave with just a chunk of evil, like the personification of evil turns into a statue and explodes. And there's okay. a chunk of him that's in a microwave and his his parents are looking at him like, oh, what the heck's this thing? And he screams, no, no, don't touch it. It's evil. And then they touch it and they get burnt to a crisp. And it's just him at the end of the movie on the lawn where his house is gone, his parents are burnt to a crisp, and that's the end of this children's film. Oh my god, <laughs> holy shit. <laughs> this opening kind of gave me flashes of that, because just him lying in the ruins, like, Dad, sister. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny, because uh, they, they use a microwave to imprison somebody at one point in this. Right, I thought they were going, with how edgy and gory at times this seemed to be, I thought they were just going to microwave him and explode him and that was going to be the end of that character i really thought they were going to do that it it felt like it was going there and it's like wow this is i don't know how i feel about this movie <laughs> but <laughs> you know it sticks to landing pretty well i think so so uh our main character tadashi uh he he's in the ruins and there's it's uh, what is this thing? It's a golden scale. I guess it's from the Kirin. I think so. I'm not. I'm not sure. Because it, it's drifting down. It's sort of like a feather, but it's more like a reptile scale, like a dragon scale, I guess. And it okay. lands on him, and it glows really bright. And that's when we go back to the beginning. Because he's right. waking up from the end of the movie as a nightmare. Okay, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, layers and layers. 
It still doesn't make sense because after the apocalypse, he's grown up and like none of this seems to have happened. Well, it cuts quite a bit later. Yeah, we, we get just a big gap. So we don't really know what happened in between. We have him tell the lie in the ruins and then it cuts to him being like a teenager. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to it. It is a coming of age movie in a weird sort of way. Yeah, yeah, I do actually have a theory about that now, now that I've seen the movie, but... It's not unlike uh, Kiki's Delivery Service. The the ending of Kiki's Delivery Service sort of dovetails with the end of this quite a bit. Oh, do you remember, have you seen I saw the end of it. I only oh, saw the it's beginning. So good. It's good. It's, it's kind of heartbreaking, but, you know, it's very good. This has kind of a heartbreaking ending, That's too, so... Exactly like it, yeah. So, uh... Tadashi, he's he's waking up from a nightmare of Tokyo and ruins, the city where I was born, but not where he's currently living because his parents divorced six months ago. So he's in you know, some real childhood turmoil, family turmoil, and he's living by the sea with his grandfather, who's not all there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like this kid, uh, this child yeah. performance. Yeah, Tadashi's really good. Mm-hmm. He's one of the better ones. Absolutely. One of the best of our, like, he, he's not a kaiju kid, he's a yokai kid, but it's it's the same genre of kid. Yeah, it's it's the kid who is the only one who knows about stuff and the parents won't believe him, so he's got to do it himself. Although there's only sort of one quasi-there parent and then one parent who totally believes him, but he's not credible. Yeah, he he's senile, so they don't believe <laughs> him. Yeah. And it's sort of questionable how senile he is and how much he's just sort of free-floating. He, he seems to be kind of a yokai figure himself in a weird sort of way. Or at least aware of the yokai, yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe that's a thing that the senility uh, kind of reopens the door to the yokai that is closed with adulthood and the telling of lies. That's, you know, that's kind of what I think it is. Um because he he's got like a childlike mentality, which allows him, which the movie says, like, once you become an adult, or, hmm, I don't know how they word it, but basically <laughs> only someone with a childlike thing can really see the yokai. Yeah, they, they, like that's pretty key that you, you have to be a child or have a childish mentality. And I guess it's a thing where it's also a thing about lies. And I feel like grandpa is at a point where he is past lies as well <laughs> uh, he he is just a speaker of truths no matter what and he he's not really aware he has no filter like mm-hmm. a child and that that's sort of the thing it's uh it, it is him stating at the beginning that it's a coming of age story he says that summer i fell in love and i told a little white lie we don't see the falling in love part i don't think do we we there's hints of it, but it we don't see it go anywhere. Right. It's not really part of this movie. We're just here for him telling a little white lie. And that's what makes him adult in the sorts of in, you know, sort of the way this movie rolls mm-hmm. that lying and even lying in a good way, lying for positive reasons is what makes you an adult. Yeah. Weird. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that as a as sort of the <laughs> core message. It basically, um, don't tell white lies or your little hamster friend will get <laughs> killed by the guy who you thought was fucking dead. 
I mean, that guy was out to get everyone. <laughs> I thought he was fucking dead, though. Yeah, I don't... It's, I don't it's think... really complicated what happens to him. I don't think he kills him, and I don't... Yeah, he he merges. He becomes yeah. new. It's it's yeah. like the fly. It's it's like the, the transporter and the fly. Anything that's in there with you, you become... A merger of those things, but monster making. We'll we'll get to that. Yes, we will. Whole whole important thing. <laughs> so, out in a barn at night, we see this CGI beastie just blindly battering against a metal door. Oh, and is this the the gross like skinless thing or? Yeah, it's like something out of the thing. It yeah. really looks like it's it's like this. It's a devil baby face on like a long, sort of a slug neck. <laughs> it's 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 gross. It's but so it's also gross. like so sad and pathetic, and you want to care for it anyway. Yeah, it's clearly dying. It's wounded, and it's you know it's it's providing a warning. This guy uh, shows up and looks at it and goes, "There's a war," and then. Its eyes are like all black, and they just turn to goo and melt out. Ugh. For Ugh. kids. <laughs> and the man goes, ah, <laughs> as, I, as I would. Ew. Oh yeah. <laughs> so it, it sort of zooms out from there to see this really massive junkyard, and this is sort of one of the other really key things. I think the narrator say, says the things that humanity used and discarded yeah so in shinto i think it's shinto, shinto. yes exactly everything that exists has a god like like this book has a god our podcast has a little podcast god uh the tree has a spirit of the tree yeah there there is a spirit that inhabits everything and it is key to uh how those things interact with humanity like the the spirit in them is sort of the like every inactive or active object there there's like a spirit that sort of acts as an intermediary between that thing and humanity mm-hmm. usually invisible to us but can be visible to children yeah but here of course all of the things that humanity has used and discarded are out for revenge you know all of those spirits are just lost because uh humanity has just uh, discarded them yep yep like uh well yeah everything here is the junkyard to these spirits is basically hell yeah it's creepy uh and it it, it's sort of weird because it's that (laughs) it's not hell as we know it it's that different thing where it's the uh you know it's a shinto hell where it's not really a hell so much as a portal for uh the dissatisfied spirits who don't have a home because humanity isn't interested in them anymore it's it's like the freddy thing or tulpas where oh yes you you have to be part of it you have to be you, you have to maintain as uh, uh someone has to maintain their belief in you for you to have any sort of power in the world mm-hmm so our guy, Lord Kato, uh, our, our evil uh, guy from some sort of novel that I am unfamiliar with, of course, 
he's standing on top of this big tower on just a stormy purple void, which is where you were saying, like, all right, this is already the most anime thing I've ever seen. Yes, <laughs> he, he's like standing over the thing with his arms raised, basically doing like the make my monster grow. Arise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he like floats up into the air. It's cool. Yeah. Um, Although he's kind of t- dressed like a Nazi. <laughs> a little like a Nazi and a little like. A businessman slash detective type cop. Yeah, like a nightmare detective type. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, like he looks like a modern guy. Right. He's very modern. He's uh, intentionally updated. I think he's specifically supposed to be echoing uh, Nazism. Like, I think he is especially supposed to sort of be echoing the SS uniform because... He's gathering hate. He's sort of uh, building this philosophy of hate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And using it to, uh, you know, using it to give himself power. He doesn't care about what the spirits want revenge for. He's just like, yeah, I'll use your spirit revenge stuff to make me God. Yeah, uh, it's it's kind of twisted. <laughs> yeah. So he, th- this is how he starts it. He launches this fireball. It sets this whole junkyard ablaze and he's basically inciting his followers he's using the impotent rage of all of these unhoused spirits uh, to be, become the yumotsumonu although we don't really know what that is yet it's it's hard to explain what it is when we do know <laughs> i kind of get it i've watched I, this I a couple do. times yeah the the commentary track on this is not super helpful, unfortunately. <laughs> it's a track. Tom Mez, I, I like his other commentary tracks. He's pretty much done ones on all of the uh, Sukamoto movies we've covered. Oh. And they've been really helpful. They're very scene-specific. This one, it's a little rambling. I, I get the impression that he doesn't like this particular movie a lot. He mentions that he hadn't seen it since it was new when he didn't like it. And he's like, I appreciate it more, but it... It's not as well studied, and he doesn't have a lot of background for things like there is so much that I wanted answers for that I did not get answers for from it. <laughs> there, there is a lot that there's a lot of this movie that has me scratching my head. Uh, not yeah. as much maybe as the next movie. No, I agree. I agree. This one definitely has a lot though, and yeah, just not a lot of it was answered. It was more just general stuff, and like, well, this was where uh, Mike was in his career. This mm. is sort of the history of yokai in Japan. It's like, I don't need any of that stuff. I need specifics. What's going on in this scene? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> What's like, this about? Like, Tell me about Azuki beans. Nothing. Yeah, is this junkyard an actual physical place and it's just all red because of the spirits? Or is he in another dimension? Or I don't I, know. Where do you get have, this machine? Yeah, I have to think that this is... Not a real place, because it's in the mountains somewhere. It turns into this whole complex and becomes its own monster. But like a monster that's a city, that's a machine, that's a transformation device. Complicated. It's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's Yomotsumono. <laughs> so just, yeah, he, you know, he's got the fireball. He's, uh, you know, making a speech about, you know, you're going to rise up against those who've uh, oppressed you. And 
there's this purple light force that enters this sort of industrial containment unit and that that's where they're going to transform things and our our first yokai is agi with the beehive hairdo and the <laughs> oh this, this character this is a weird character in a children's movie too this is a weird character in any movie <laughs> she's just a weird character yeah she looks like she belongs in like a 2000s um, like Britney Spears video or something like that yeah because one of the things is specifically she's got this very tight white dress and a very short skirt that is specifically designed to show off her panties in her butt all the time yeah it's like you can't move in this thing without it riding up I, I mean like I think it is intentionally designed to be constantly riding up like the yeah. the the back sticks out. It is meant to show off the butt and the panties, like explicitly. And uh, yeah, it's weird. Yeah, <laughs> it's it is weird because like because she's not really a sexualized character. Other no, than nobody's horny for her. Nobody. Even though she's very horny for Kato. Yeah. Uh, but that just never comes to be. It just it's totally one sided, and she doesn't realize it until the end, which is. Sort of weird because it's pretty clearly one-sided the whole time. I never thought the uh, the turned yokai into metal monstrosities party would turn me into a metal monstrosity. <laughs> I don't get it. Well, yeah, she doesn't even get that. She no, she just killed. gets killed. Yeah. So Agi the Birdcatcher, which apparently is some sort of classic yokai character, like a, a scarier yokai, one of the more mean ones. Oh, okay. Those are usually... Uh, Really but ugly. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't know if this is sort of a traditional characterization of her. This might mm. be her sort of merged with something else. To, True. I, I don't know. We don't get any context for it. <laughs> she might be from an anime. She might be. So then we get the opening credits and there's this folk festival uh, during this, which isn't a real folk festival. It's the Kirin thing. The, Sorry, the, it is or isn't? It is. Okay. Uh, the Karin Rider, I think this is a thing. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Kirin Rider made me think of Common Rider, which is uh, very similar to this movie and how it's shot. I've never seen it, but I'm definitely aware of it. I mean, Kirin is a real thing. There is Kirin beer, as oh, we yeah. see later in the movie. That's a real beer. I've had oh, that I beer. <laughs> I, I knew Kirin was a real thing. I didn't know that beer was real. That's... Oh yeah, <laughs> that's actually wonderful. Pretty famous beer. <laughs> oh shit. Okay. <laughs> but Tadashi is sort of like he's there at the festival. We know he's sort of new in town because you know he just got here six months ago from or within six months because of the divorce. Mm-hmm. And there's town bullies who aren't really bullies, just generally non well wishers. Yeah. Yeah. They just they don't like him and they kind of constantly they're they're giving him all this background. (laughs) They're here to (laughs) provide information about what's happening, but not enough. We could have maybe used more bullies. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Tadashi, if the Kirin bites you on the head, you're going to be the legendary Kirin rider. But you you're too shitty to do it. So it won't be you. And he's like, no, that definitely won't be me either. That's that's absolutely not going to happen. And then. It immediately chooses him, of course. <laughs> now the Kirin Rider's got to go meet the Goblin King, but you're not strong enough to meet the Goblin King. 
yeah, the Goblin King's real, but he's not strong enough. Right, it's weird. They keep going on all... It's like, okay, here's all the background you need to know, but you're not good enough. And then they <laughs> just, like, disappear. I'm like, okay, well, show up a couple more times and give me a little more background, maybe, because he could use some more taunting. It's fine. I like Tadashi, but uh, I need some information personally. Yeah, and these guys have provided more than anyone else has. They do provide more than anyone else will. <laughs> There's really not really... Yeah, that's uh, true. The yokai aren't a lot of help. No, uh, they're they're intentionally cryptic. I mean, you have to lie to the yokai to get them to show up to their own war. <laughs> that's a good point. Hey, they, <laughs> yeah, they're doing little white lies. How is that exactly. okay? Exactly. Well, little white lies seem to be key to their whole culture. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. The, the the bullies inform him that the Kirin writer, he's the guardian of peace, the protector of justice. You jerks, you can't do it. <laughs> you think you're good enough? <laughs> okay, thanks, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's like somebody bullying, instead of bullying you for believing in Santa Claus, it's like the bullies also believe in Santa Claus and kind of are bullying you for not knowing about him. Yeah, it's so weird. So we are also, very briefly, we meet Sata, uh, who is this photographer, reporter guy who's totally obsessed with yokai. We won't really get an introduction to him late until later, but he takes a picture of Tadashi because he's the Kirin writer. Oh, yeah, right. I, I couldn't remember because the introduction is so brief that when he shows up later, I'm like, why are we spending so much time with this guy? But then he's like kind of a main character in the last part. But yeah, there, <laughs> it's a while before he really has any purpose. Mm hmm. So Tadashi comes home, and uh, his his grandpa is there. We are introduced to how he is uh, not altogether there because he thinks he's someone named Akira, who we'll learn about a little bit later. Mm -hmm. And he phones his sister to tell her about you know everything that's going on with the Kirin Rider ceremony and how grandpa's calling him Akira today. <laughs> yeah, he he misses her. He misses his sister. He misses his dad. Mm -hmm. And she's she seems nice. She seems sweet. Uh, but yeah, there, there's really we, we get very little impression of them because they're just elsewhere. Mm -hmm. So he won a towel and some beans and rice, some Azuki beans and rice. Very important. <laughs> very important. For some reason, it is, though. And Grandpa kind of ends up using all of it because... Uh, uh, mom grabs the towel, or yeah, it's mom. She grabs the towel because grandpa needs to blow his nose. It's like, no, not that towel, but you know, too late. Yeah, that's like the cool thing I got from the festival. Oh, wow. Nobody <laughs> gives a shit about anything I'm doing. It, it is kind of sad. He does feel like this uh, real neglected middle child, or I guess he's the younger child. It's uh, funny that each parent got one kid. Yeah. Uh, it's unusual. It doesn't usually go that way. <laughs> I don't know. I guess it's a, maybe a separation. Uh, who knows? Yeah, who knows? So meanwhile, in the forest, we see a herd of Sunekasori just running away from this fucking steampunk monster man. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Like like a bad guy from Toy Story or yeah. I guess they're not bad guys, but, you know, the things. It, well, it, it, it feels like it would have to be a bad guy because it's sort of like a cross between something that would be terrorizing them in Sid's room, but merged with 
like the trash compactor burner uh, from the third film because <laughs> it's it's like a bloody steel mouth on wheels. <laughs> I described it as like a race car coffin with spikes. Well, like it's got a mouth it, yeah. and a throat and just there's all those spikes on the inside. It's covered. It's just streaked with gore. Yeah, it's got like all these like creepy spider legs. It's like a if the thing was a robot. There's a lot of thing influence to these uh, yokai steampunk monsters. They they are very steampunk. They are, yeah. But yeah, it gets pretty much all of them. It fucking eats them. They're gone. They're mulched. It's it's like they go into a, a like a, a tree shredder. It's like yeah. a tree shredder that eats these little uh, cute, adorable hand puppet cat things. Oh yeah, like spits out this this net and catches them all. And oh yeah, they're, oh, yeah, wrong. they are dead. They we are never dead. see them again. Cause we we mm-hmm. just have this one that gets out of it and it gets hit by Agi. They're they're in a in a graveyard for some reason. By the way, <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> sure. But uh, Agi hits it with her whip because, well, she has like these feather whips. Yeah, her weapon is weird. It's like a whip or a string or it's a lot of things. It can do a lot of stuff. Yeah, I I get the impression that it's supposed to be kind of a feather because she's the bird catcher or whatever. And the way it comes out does look sort of like the the stalk of a feather. Okay, yeah, actually, yeah. Got that sort of... uh, hardness to it but yeah she mm-hmm. hits the the one surviving Senekasori with it and it, it's badly wounded but gets away uh not the first time this poor thing or not the last time this poor thing's gonna get badly hurt no it goes on through screen shit. Oh. yeah no it's they they really brutalize it and it's funny because it's not very realistic it's <laughs> it's not it's it's not dissimilar to like kermit the frog but fuzzier it, it's very very primitive it, it is a hand puppet but it, it's like it was just made by somebody crocheting almost kind of yeah but it's cute it's so cute <laughs> it's sort of like a pet rock come to life yeah the way it just does its little shin rubby snuggle thing it's like a little kitty. Yeah. It, it is sort of cat-like. Very, very... Uh, 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 cat slash mink. Like, it's sort of more rodent-y, but mm-hmm. cat-esque. Cat-adjacent. Forbidden yeah, I cats. Thought, yeah, you know? I thought of it as, like, kind of a ferret cat. Yeah, yeah. Or a weasel cat. Yeah. So next morning we have that great scene where Grandpa is trying some of those beans. He says, Azuki beans are good for you. And then it has a whole tableau where it says, <laughs> Azuki beans are good for you. Bye, Grandpa. Uh, down in the, like, one corner. Just a, all of it appears as a text scroll. and a title card. <laughs> it's like, Azuki beans. Very important. And then they'll just keep coming back, and I still, I don't know. <laughs> they're, they're Here, I thought the grandpa was going to explain why this matters, but no. Yeah, no. Nope. He does not. Uh, uh, but meanwhile, it's the last day of school. Tadashi's getting out for summer, and the bullies all surround him, and they're like, <laughs> there's a big legendary sword on Great Goblin Mountain, you idiot! You're not going to be good enough to get it! 
<laughs> Man, it sucks that you were picked as the Kieran Rider because like someone better would actually be able to get the sword that we believe is real. Even though this seems to be like an annual festival and probably no one's done it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they probably know not. about it by now. Yeah. And he's walking home with Grandpa who has... He he actually leads him on like a cloth leash. They, they just hold, <laughs> oh, yeah. hold a piece of cloth bet- between him so he can guide him home. Yep. So he asks about Akira because he was calling him Akira the other day, and that's uh, Mom's older brother who died young. He's like, oh, I, I guess I kind of resemble him, don't I? And he's like, yeah. Now that you mention it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of sweet. We, we're kind of getting yeah. an impression of. Uh, the the family dynamic a little bit. Yeah, it's just you know hard to be forgotten by a family member who's you know wa- watching them go through that. It's, yeah, it's, it's rough. tough. It's tough. It is tough. And they they sort of treat it they, like it's it's not a joke here, but it's not really something that they treat as all that uh, tragic either. It's mm-hmm. just sort of a, a just a part of his character. He's he's a little spacey. Yeah, he doesn't seem to be, like, suffering. He's just a little bit of an oddball. Yeah, and he's he confirms the bully's story. About, yeah, oh, yeah, no, there's uh, this the, there's Great Goblin Mountain. There's the legendary sword there. You know, pretty standard stuff. <laughs> yep, Kieran Ryder's got to go get it from him. And he's like, oh, shit, I didn't finish those Suzuki beans. And he, like, tears off. <laughs> this is the most important part of my life i mean it keeps coming back he really keeps returning to them because he sort of has internally this awareness that uh yumotsumono's coming and you you can't really forget anything and and let it be yeah yeah i i just keep thinking now tadashi these are azuki beans here's why you should here's why they're good for you but no never nope I mean, he knows, and it's just yeah, yeah. for him. <laughs> yeah, he knows, and th- at least one yokai knows. I guess. I mean, I don't know if Kawatoro knows or if he's just <laughs> really intense. Cause it's, I don't think we'll Kawatoro knows, but the, the washing guy does. Yeah, but the thing or is, Kawatoro, remember how how much weight he puts on him at that one point? We'll get to it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So Tadashi climbs the mountain. He's, he's like, all right, well, we'll go for this fucking legendary sword. But he gets up to this one sort of point in the clearing and a voice goes, come in. And he gets spooked and runs away. It is spooky. It is spooky. <laughs> and he, 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 he waves down in a totally empty transit bus. And we don't see the driver fully, but he looks kind of red and furry, sort of like the guy who was uh, sort of like the mask of the guy who was leading the Kirin Rider uh, festival. Yeah, we yeah, we never get to see the driver's face, do we? It doesn't show it later on, does it? Well, I, I'm pretty sure he's Unless, just the guy we see later. Yeah. Uh, yeah we, I, I mean, like we don't really see this again, but he's like sort of the main uh, yokai. He, he's the guy who's sort of in charge. Mm-hmm. I can't. I, I uh, shoujo. Th- okay. I liked this bus seat. It, it felt like something out of like maybe a Studio Ghibli anime. It's yeah. It's got that really kind of honeyed tone. It, it looks like 
I, I do think this has a lot of like Kiki's Delivery Service and Spirited Away in it. Uh, just a sort of that melancholy tone that uh, where where you're sort of in between worlds and that that liminal space of childhood where you're sort of starting to learn uh, differences between reality and make believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, as they're driving through, like there there's a tunnel. Uh, yokai just start appearing all over the sides of the bus. <laughs> I'm just remembering that Simpsons episode with the gremlin. Hell yeah. But these <laughs> ones are all cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, the gremlin was pretty scary in the Simpsons when I was like eight. Well, these aren't really scary. Well, there's some of them are sort of scary because the, the ones that are creeping down and have like the eyes and the hands. But there's that yeah, cool flaming wheel thing. That rule. Oh, I love that thing. That thing's awesome. These flying, flaming wheels, and just all of them vanish once they exit the tunnel. I really like the yokai designs of this movie. Um, They're nice. They, yeah, the ones that we see a lot of aren't CGI. They go back to kind of like the style that they use in the original a little, little bit, but they, More modern. they look better. More modern, yeah. Like sort of practical rubber suit monsters, sort of like the stuff in The Giver. Mm, yeah. So they all vanish except for Sunekasori, who is clinging to Tadashi's shins in the bus. And he's worse for wear, bleeding like I, I, it seems to be apricot juice. Yeah, uh, it, it's clearly meant to be blooded. These things just have yellow blood, but it looks like like. Uh, yeah, yeah like it looks like he bleeds jam. apricots. Yeah. <laughs> so Tadashi, of course, takes it home, bandages it up starts to uh uh I, I guess he doesn't quite know what it is yet but he recognizes that it's not a normal animal that he's seen before and you know most forest animals don't bleed apricot juice most don't <laughs> so we, we go back to kato's big factory it's it's become this huge smoke spewing factory not just uh like it's 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 grown from being a junkyard into uh, an industry. Mm-hmm. Like, um, uh, well, like Saruman's thing in Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That, it really gave me vibes of Lord of the Rings and the, uh, wh- wherever that place is. I, yeah, I can't remember what they call it. The factory that he built. Yeah. Whatever it was. Uh, the, you know, Sauron's land. And he has also imprisoned all of these yokai. He's, he's got just this whole cage of yokai. And they're, yeah, all like they're all like heckling Agi. Yeah, like, why the hell did you betray us, Agi? You're the same as us. What the fuck is wrong with you? And she, like, spits burning oil at them, which is something I don't really ever see her do again. Like, there's a couple times where she's drooling. Yeah, she's weird about her drool. <laughs> yeah. the, the other times, I mean, I guess this is to establish that it can be dangerous, but it, she doesn't actually ever do this again. No. <laughs> Weird thing to establish. And then there's like one of their big robot guys who we don't really know how they fit together yet, but it slashes at them to be like, get back, get back. He's like, I'm not one of you anymore. So that does suggest that she has been transformed. It does explain her more modern appearance. Yeah. It's weird though, I guess I like I don't know what she was transformed with. She she was yeah. not transformed with junk the way they were. Or the way they're about to be. 
Maybe a Britney Spears backup dancer. <laughs> Maybe. It's strange. <laughs> I, I don't know, but uh, she doesn't look like a weird robot monster. Because, like, her thing and what she believes is going to be the point is that she's going to unite with Lord Kato and be reborn. So I think she expects she's going to go into the pink goop with him. But... Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's uh, I don't know why she thinks that. That that just seems like a weird choice to begin with. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he would even like tell her that is a lie. Yeah, just I I I wonder if she's just made that up herself. Because again, it's there's nothing to suggest it in anything we see. It's just what she says. I don't know. I'll be one with you, right, Lord Kato? Uh, yeah, sure, whatever you say. Uh, now do this for me. He doesn't even say, yeah, sure. Like, yeah, no, it's not. He'll You're just right. look at you. Like, mm, I'm angry-faced. <laughs> so they, they get this really furry dude. They they pick him up with, like, a claw machine and <laughs> dump him into the pink goo with oh, uh, a motorbike, an, an old, junked, rusty motorbike. It, it's hard to see through the goo, but when you look in through the window, like it looks like he's melting. Yeah, it's gross. He, yeah. he's it, it's sort of like a lava that merges two things together, much in this, the same way of like the teleporters from the fly for kids. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the the this is like in Roger Rabbit when he like dunks the shoe and the stuff that shit gave me mm. nightmares for i i was totally thinking of roger rabbit when i saw this scene too i thought he was just going to melt them <laughs> yeah like, oh, this is so horrifying uh, yeah this is and yeah he becomes this like horrible robot monster yeah it's sort of partly made out of motorcycle and partly based on whatever yokai he originally was we don't really know he's just this furry guy uh if you're familiar with yokai you might recognize him i don't yeah i don't think he was major in any of the previous movies no and this is where kato steps out and he's got it's it's a very nazi uniform except instead of the ss it's got a pentagram which yeah yeah like I thought he was just like before seeing the pentagram, I thought he was just a cop wearing like a cop uniform mm. and like and I don't know why he had any of this power, but no, he's definitely some kind of evil wizard something. Yeah, I mean he's based on some other character from some epic fantasy that's in like a ten part <laughs> series. Yeah. <laughs> but he he's doing his Nazi speechifying. So release your rage and bury humankind in darkness. They will not replace us. Oh, my fucking God. That's literally what he's saying to them. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Holy it, it, shit. It, this is what I'm saying, where it definitely does seem like he is supposed to represent a philosophy of hate. Yeah. Oh, OK. Yep. I see it now. Yeah. So the the monster cycle, because it can turn into it, it, they, they sort of become transformers and it, it ramps out of like this giant pipe and find some human family and just massacres them. A family is annihilated. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, they're not shy about blood either. Yeah, no, I mean, people get shot in the head later. There's a part where a cop shoots someone in the head. <laughs> mm -hmm. And it's supposed to be kind of funny. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so Tadashi, next day, he's just walking around with Sunekasori on his head, and he mentions that only he can see it, which is interesting. 
Mm-hmm. He, and he he's not really all that phased by it. He's like, oh, I guess I'm the only one who can see it. Whatever. He just walks around. <laughs> yeah. And he goes to the Shigeru Mizuki Museum. And Shigeru Mizuki is a very important uh, manga artist who, who made a really important yokai series. Okay. And he's sort of like viewed as the, the father of yokai in Japan. And uh, they, they mention his comics uh, to, when they're talking about, I think it's Itan Momen. It's like, right. oh, you're, you're, you, you always act tough when you're on all of those adventures with Momotaro or whatever. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's this guy and they go through his museum and Tadashi's like, oh, yeah, I guess, Sonoka, sorry, you must be a yokai. <laughs> I love the way he just, I love how he figures it out. He's just like, wait, you're the shin-rubbing yokai, of course. Yeah, like, and like, oh, that makes sense. That's a thing, okay. I mean, maybe. I, I guess, guess so. <laughs> presumably this exists. Uh, and he runs into Sata there, who... Who he get a, you know, he wants to interview him about becoming the Kieran Rider and stuff. It's like, oh, you're into yokai too, you know. Uh, I once saw a yokai, and his flashback. Does it strike you as sort of his erotic awakening? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's like <laughs> him just as a child, just sort of like rubbing his hand along the inner thigh of this lady and looking up to her face and. Yeah, he had an erotic awakening to yokai, and he is sort of yokai sexual. It's yeah. not really addressed in the movie, but that's like clearly what is being stated at the beginning. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the the shots are exactly what happens to T- Tadashi later. Right, with the the exact same yokai, mm-hmm. and it, it, that's all really central to the movie because that's like the final lines of the movie. Mm-hmm relate back to this so also important like weird stuff that's really key this guy's sexual awakening based on a yokai and uh azuki beans are way more important than you'd figure when you they're first introduced yep like i wasn't i didn't know this guy'd be so important so that so yeah i forgot a, again forgot about yeah. him when he showed up it's like oh this is the guy from there okay Definitely the first time I watched it, by the time he shows up during the quote-unquote war slash party, and he has, like, he's drinking with his boss later, I completely forgot that it was the same guy. It wasn't until the second time I watched it that I tied together it was the same dude. Yeah, I thought he was just, like, some incidental character. But no, he's important. He's, like, one of the main characters. Yeah. So, like, he gets a call from his editor who says the story's being spiked. They're not doing it. And he gets really mad and he <laughs> starts to argue with them. But I've already started writing. And he throws and breaks his cell phone. He's like, I, I have to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> he starts yelling at it and throws it and it gets destroyed. And like, oh, <laughs> just immediately regretting his decision. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sorry. I have to go back to Tokyo now. <laughs> <laughs> so Tadashi goes back home. And he's got a note from his grandpa uh, that he's at Great Goblin Cave. Which is not actually from his grandpa, and he's not actually there. I think the this is probably a note left by Shoujo. Uh, probably. Because I think Shoujo is pretending to be grandpa through all of this. It's revealed later that he's yeah. shape-shifted into grandpa. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
Although it's funny because we're seeing Grandpa somewhere very far away fall into a swamp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he falls into a swamp and he's like, Tadashi, help me. And Tadashi hears it from his house. And he has to like get on a bicycle to go <laughs> find the voice. But we get to see him as Grandpa doing it instead of it being... <laughs> yeah. Instead of it being uh, Shoujo. Yeah, yeah. Thing. So I'm like, well, I guess Grandpa would wander into the woods and fall into quicksand. That's a Grandpa thing. It's It seems like a, a reasonable thing. So uh, Tadashi gets to his previous turnback point, you know, where the voice told him to come in before. Yeah. And it's even scarier this time. They're they're really testing him. There's all these animal skeletons. Uh, there's just one big scary yokai that's sort of lo- lurking just behind the bushes that I don't think we ever get a clear look at later. Oh, right. Yeah. No, I don't think so. And Sonekasori just runs off. And uh, uh, Tadashi goes to the pond and hands come out and grab him. And it's Kawataro. Oh, yay! Our Kappa! Hey, buddy! Woohoo! Kawataro's got a real personality in this movie. (laughs) Uh, Real glad you're here. Uh, I kind of like him more on, like, he is one who grew on me on a second watch watch (laughs) as well, because he's just, he's he's a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Like, he is very on the good guy's side, but oh, Hmm. man. He's eager. He's very energetic. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so Tadashi breaks free and he's like screaming and he runs. And then there's uh, a girl who he thinks for a moment is his sister. She's in like a, 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 a school uniform and everything. But then she turns and she has no face. <gasps> no face girl. Oh, yeah. I remember. I remember you from the previous ones. Shockingly, she does not have any other scenes in this movie. This is the only no face girl moment. Yeah, they don't really they don't really go back to the old ones very much. Just they just get little cameos. Yeah, they they all get stuff to do. I mean, it's really only Kawatoro the Kappa who has a lot to do. Who's mm. sort of basically one of the classic characters. Yeah, well, you got to have your annoying Kappa take center stage. Essential. It's I mean, it's what he does. It is the purpose <laughs> of him as a character. Yeah. <laughs> and what what I think is emblematic of this movie where i i like a lot of it but there are things that i feel are too much it, it kind of always has to throw an extra button on it that's maybe too much because you know we get the reveal that she's a no-face girl but then also she has this really tattered lantern that she turns and eyes and a tongue bug out and it's like oh i love lantern dude i thought it was a little bit much but you know i get it and the yokai are a bit much. The it, it's true. It it totally fits. It's just at times I'm like, okay, I get it. It feels extremely 2005 to me. I guess. <laughs> that, well, yes, <laughs> it is that. Yeah. So he runs inside, and there's this lady on a tema, uh, on a on a mat, and she seems to be sick. And she coughs and her head just like extends like three feet, their neck. <laughs> yeah, just like, just like <laughs> shoots <laughs> forward and falls down. <laughs> so it's it's the, the classic Rokurokubi. She was my favorite. I had a crush on her in the second one. She was great. She does, again, she doesn't have a whole lot to do in this one because she has a cold. <laughs> and, and her neck is cartoony in this. I don't like it as much. 
it's very CG. It, it doesn't look as good. But, you know, we, she does the thing. She wraps her neck around him. Mm-hmm. It's cool. You know, we, we, yeah. She is featured, but, yeah, she's not really a main character here. Yeah, uh, no, she's just part of, mostly just part of this. And there's another yokai that's, I think it's called Thousand Eyes. <laughs> uh, and it just, all all of the... All of the walls sprout eyes oh, for a moment. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's this huge face, Okubi, uh, just blowing wind outside. You know, they open the doors and there's just a oh, giant yeah. face. The face just is the sky. Yeah. So that's Okubi. I was able to recognize a number of these and kind of figure it out through the glossary. So I've identified them where I can. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, the, the wind blows him screaming in and uh the, the weird moment where rakuro kubi licks his face <laughs> feels weird for this movie oh uh, not that weird maybe i don't know weird i don't know maybe uh, it just there's already licky drooly play involved i know but it just this one definitely feels more of a kid's movie than, i don't know it's strange uh but yeah he rolls out the back because of the 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 wind and everything and mm-hmm. Grandpa's still calling for help, or Grandpa. Grandpa, quote-unquote. Yeah. Even though he's been submerged in quicksand for probably about 20 minutes at this point. Yeah. So Tadashi, you know, he wants to run away, but he can't because Grandpa's calling for help. So he, he's brave, and he goes back, and he runs, and it's just Shoujo. He's like, you passed. Oh, I passed. <laughs> <laughs> Don't we, like... Right around here, don't we just cut to Grandpa doing normal daily stuff? Shortly, yeah. Because first, yeah. Tadashi, he's he's shocked by just Shoujo's appearance because he's the red furry yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah. And he stumbles backwards into the river and he goes like through the Sata experience. He falls into the river and he seems to be saved from drowning by uh, Kawahime, the river princess. Mm-hmm. And... Uh... Is this where he gets a sexual awakening or later? I think it's exactly the same. We see him have the exact same experience that Sata had and him look up and like he's he's touching her inner thigh and he sees, you know, uh, that and like it's shaking hand. And then he looks up and sees her beautiful face looking at him. So this is obviously what he means in the narration when he says that he falls in love. We just don't see where it goes. I guess so. It's weird because it's not really heavily featured and it's already an echo of something we've seen before. Uh So, yeah, it's strange. Uh, So, uh, (laughs) she's, he's, he's like cradled in her lap and then looming behind her is (laughs) Kalitsaro. He just like starts looming sideways from behind her, like with with just a crazy expression on his face. <laughs> and Tadashi just freaks out, and Kawataro gets extremely offended. <laughs> yeah, like, oh yeah, right, yeah. So we're all yokai, but you're okay with her because she's hot. But I'm an ugly yokai, so I'm scary. That's not okay. Well, because like the Sunekasori shows up, and uh, Tadashi runs to him and cuddles him, and He's like, hey, that's favoritism. (laughs) (laughs) Just because he's cute and she's hot. He, he like, grabs a hold of him. He's dragging him into the lake, yelling. It's like, I can make cute noises. Cuddle me, too. (laughs) (laughs) 
this is our Kappa. This is what he does. This is what he's yeah. going to do for the rest of the film. He's a whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> he needs to be the center of attention. <laughs> and Shoujo's finally like, come on, let him go. Relax. <laughs> we We were just testing you. We needed to make sure that you're worthy of the sword. And... By the way, I I was grandpa. He's fine. And they they cut to him just at home in bed sleeping. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) And then cuts back and like, all right, let's let's go meet the great goblin or more more correctly, the great Tengu, Daitengu. Yeah, I didn't realize he was supposed to be the great goblin because I knew that he was a Tengu. Yeah, I, I, it's just the way they translate it. For some yeah. reason, they use the word goblin here instead of Tengu. It's like the way they used goblin a few times for yokai in some of the earlier ones. Um, I would just say, yeah, Tengu. I, I'm familiar with the concept. Sure. I'd say the 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 audience for a yokai picture, for a, a box set of yokai pictures, probably can handle the word Tengu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, oh, man, Kawatoro. Oh, yeah, sure. Kawahime. Fine. Yep. Tengu, that's too much. Tengu, I've never heard of that. Mm, I am <laughs> no longer invested. So we cut to the villain factory, where <laughs> most of the prisoners have... This is a weird thing that I don't get, because it looks... She's like, well, just slim pickings left. They've transformed all of them. But we have some of them later who are still there, who were there at the beginning. It's weird. Uh, One yeah. leg. Yeah, right. Uh, Ipandatara, he's he's important. Yeah, and he's there, but we mm-hmm. don't see him in this moment. It seems like, I mean, I don't know why he wouldn't have gone in, because he seems like a big, tough monster guy. A big, tough monster guy who could forge metal. I mean, that's the first guy you want to recruit if you're doing a robot factory. Yeah, I don't get it. It's It's one of these things that really raised questions for me when they went back to it and they had a bunch of people still in the prison. Like, I don't understand. <laughs> It feels like this was out of order. <laughs> Maybe. Because it, it is related directly to what's happening, because I guess for whatever reason, they have sort of a magic mirror thing where they can hear what's going on here, even though I know it's the yokai who have an actual magic mirror that hasn't mm-hmm. shown up just yet. But anyway, she hears <laughs> about the mention of the great Tengu and drools in excitement. She wants that power. Uh, yeah. And then she like, eats her drool or something uh, something like it, it like drips she like lets her tongue out and like drools and i guess it's sort of poisonous because you know we've seen her spit it at people and it'd be dangerous i don't know <laughs> yeah no explanations <laughs> no no you have to already know going in or you just have to be okay with not knowing yeah so we have another thing that also feels very uh 80s pop culture it seems like they're crossing the this rickety bridge from the last crusade (laughs) (laughs) oh my god well yeah i've seen i didn't know that was the last crusade i've seen this bridge in so many cartoons movies this is what i mean not not specifically last crusade that's the first place i thought of because then the next thing is the raiders of the lost ark ball obstacle (laughs) that that is 100 percent raiders of the lost ark yeah (laughs) see i I was thinking like ducktales with this bridge because that was when i first saw it oh yeah yeah ducktales is another definite reference big in the 80s like every big adventure series in the 80s had to have it there was a board game with this bridge. Yeah. Forbidden Bridge. <laughs> Forbidden. Forbidden. Yeah. I, uh, that 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 is a 
a commercial that is permanently imprinted on my brain. <laughs> and somehow I've never played the board game. No, I've seen it. I think I know someone who has it. I think we know I someone who has we, it. You yeah. know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, I, I think, but yeah, no, I've never played it. I just I've seen the commercial a billion times. Oh, it was everywhere. <laughs> Forbidden in a very place. specific <laughs> for a very specific period of time it was everywhere yeah so the uh, kawatoro tries to play around on the bridge he's like oh we're not gonna do the whole thing where you go across and we just skip it where you go through very carefully and you fall and one of us has to save you and then while he's doing this whole bit he falls and tadashi has to save him <laughs> falling down from the bridge is right behind me isn't it yeah exactly he's like oh shit and then tadashi saves him he's like okay you know i guess i'm cool with you now you're you you saved me i didn't have to be cute to do it (laughs) (laughs) and then of course the stone bowl also flattens kawatoro because he's oh he's fine he's like a video game character of course no he's he's he gets wily coyote flattened and I would figure, and this is something that they don't get into, but sort of seems important to the whole uh, Yumatsumono aspect of it and the being forgotten and the element of belief making a yokai stronger or a god stronger. As a kappa, he has, like, experience to burn. He's fine. You know, people know what kappas are. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the Ninja Turtles have made him safe for eternity. He, he doesn't really oh, need to yeah. worry about these sort of uh, physical dangers that maybe some of... That, that Senekasori, who doesn't really have the same international appeal. <laughs> well, the way to kill a Kappa is to either hit or smash or dry out the bowl of water that's on its head. I don't right. know if that's mentioned here, but... It is mentioned. It it actually gets cracked later on. Okay. But he's fine. So, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> he uh, mentions it. Turtles. It also comes up quite a bit in the two shorts that, okay. are, 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 that are additional. He He's worried about his bowl quite a bit there. Or his dish, right. rather. Yeah. <laughs> so, they, they get to the Great Tengu. And he presents Ta- Tadashi with the legendary sword. Although, he's... Like, Tadashi is still pretty hesitant to draw it. Yeah, I mean, it's great power, but man, all that great responsibility, though. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I really want to buy in. said I might not be good enough, and they could be right. This is actually a pretty big deal. But he doesn't really have much time to uh, dilly-dally because a huge drill busts through the ceiling and a bunch of evil yokai bots. They're they're like the junkions from the... uh, (laughs) transformers you know junk planet movie oh yeah uh it totally the drill thing reminded me of ninja turtles yeah yeah that that's a big shredder device bebop yep. and rocksteady should come out here instead of Augie. <laughs> oh man i think that movie would be better question mark know. it's weird because this movie does feel like it could draw on them you know with yeah. Like we said, the Ninja Turtles, they are basically Kappas. You could draw on Ninja Turtles to throw them into a yokai movie because they do feel adjacent enough in that sense. Why not have Bob and Rocksteady? They could I be yokai. Yeah, I, I bet there's already a humanoid giant boar spirit in yokai uh, lore. I bet one oh, of those exists. There has to be. No question. Maybe not a rhino, but definitely the boar. Right. So, uh, Great Tengu, just one stroke, all of the robots are just blown away down the cave. 
And not really a problem for him because no. major character. <laughs> yeah, you know, he's he's the one who gives you the sword. Yeah. You don't mess with the one who has the sword until after he gives <laughs> it to you. But uh, they, uh, Agi now is able to beat him. She pulls out her, one of her feather whips. She starts to battle the Tengu. And then, you know, another robot comes in and, and grapples him. So she manages to, like, cut his wings in half. Yeah, that that's a brutal... That's a brutal cut. Yeah, just, like, one big swipe with her feather whip, and just his wings are cut in half, and he just gets dragged off by the... It's like a ro- a zip tie robot or something. Oh my god! Yeah. <laughs> the, the robot designs are a little much. They suffer a little bit from Michael Bay transformerism, but they I agree. are. It's tough I to like tell what they are. Yeah, I mean, I, I like them in concept, but it's hard to say. I I feel like you should get a little bit more impression of what their previous elements were. Like you should yeah. be able to sort of decipher that from looking at them, but you really can't. It's it's like you say the Michael Bay thing, where it's just there's a lot of stuff going on. <laughs> yeah, like like the only one that I can actually remember what it looks like is the coffin race car. Yeah, there's that one. I can remember obviously the monster cycle because it's the first one we see it come out as a motorcycle, and we see the two elements go in together, and. And then, of course, there's the Senecasauri one later, you know, spoilers, but (laughs) kind of important one. So uh, Tadashi runs to try to rescue Great Tengu. Uh, Senecasauri is defending the sword alone (laughs) (laughs) from just a big chainsaw monster. Yeah, that chainsaw thing is brutal. That one's pretty intense. And Tadashi has to run to the rescue of Senecasauri, draws the sword, finally. And the sword just does all the fighting for him. Like, it just flies <laughs> around and fights them. Yeah, he just holds on to it, and it's like Thor's hammer, almost. Yeah, but, like, more, uh, it's it's got auto-aim on, you know. <laughs> he, just, <laughs> he draws it, and it just flies him around the room. It cuts the robot in half. Uh, and he throws the sword at Agi, but she whips and breaks it in half. So she's already really, really powerful. Mm-hmm. And she does this like it's again a thing where she advances. She has her tongue out and she's like drooling as she advances on him, which is weird. Like, yeah. I don't know what we're supposed to take from that. <laughs> I don't either. But Seneca Sari jumps up in her face and uh, she grabs a hold of it and throws it in a microwave. And I, as I mentioned earlier, I thought she was just going to microwave it and explode it and it was just going to be a really dark end to the first act i really thought that's what was going to happen here too um especially since the microwave is held by the coffin monster who already ate all the other sudekasauris yeah and like they turn it on it's revolving but it just never goes up like she she sets a timer or whatever it's like oh what is going on here (laughs) maybe they stuck a fork in it first i don't know She's like, listen, Tadashi, we want you to hate us. Your hate gives us strength. And Kato shows up on his old CRT TV, you know, an old discarded (laughs) CRT. Of course. (laughs) That also, like, that's the other thing with this mouth coffin spike monster is it seems to be a handbag or a purse. It can just always pull sorts of stuff out of it. Yeah, I feel like it would have had to have been. There's nothing... 
there's no one thing that that exists that they had to that they could have used to make this thing. It's a bunch of things. I want to say like a rolling cabinet or something, you know, like a TV cabinet, and then maybe. I, out of some sort of yokai. Who knows? <laughs> we don't get enough information. <laughs> no, no. But so Kato appears on the TV and Kawahime recognizes him because uh, she flashes back to her becoming a yokai. He made her a yokai, uh, saving her from being burnt, uh, burnt in effigy. Yeah. I, I didn't quite get it at first. I thought she like was the straw, but no, she just was wrapped in straw mm-hmm, to be burnt and she's like in a river and he saves her mm-hmm. and this is the first time that agi you know she's talking to the kato on tv and says and you and i will finally be one and it cuts to his face and he just like is completely expressionless <laughs> <laughs> and the tv is put away and they fly off <laughs> you know rise into the sky without him giving any sort of response it's like, hmm, I don't know, Augie, uh, you're not really good at reading body language, are you? <laughs> and then Tadashi wakes up and he is in the room full of cool yokai. This is like our first cool yokai scene with just all of them. Mm-hmm. So we've got uh, Kasab- Kasabake, the umbrella, of course. Oh, yeah, he's got to be here. Uh, he's still kind of adorable. Yeah, I quite, I quite like this one. He's funny. He has his couple lines that are pretty good. Uh, there's Tanume, who's the one with his uh, hands in his eyes. Or eyes, oh, yeah. eyes in his hands, rather. Yeah. Uh, Yukiona, the snow woman, just standing outside with snow falling on her. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mitsume Kozo, this monk, the three-eyed monk child, just weird tiny eyes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a big cat furry, Bakaneko. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like someone in a furry outfit at a convention. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Albozu, who's a blue monk. He's just a monk and he's all blue. Yep. Uh, Aborosumashi, or lamp oil, who has just a really huge head right now because it's been expanding. yeah like hey down in front man can you make your head smaller i can't see past you what are you doing you're gonna take it up the whole room fine i'll do this whole big thing where i shrink my head and there's itan momen who's like this 35 foot flying cloth with eyes who seems to be a fairly important character in japanese culture he's like a major character in these comic books it seems Mm -hmm. so lamp oil uh, the the expanding head guy after he shrinks his head down he's like we we should get one leg the smith he's the guy we could get a hold of to uh fix our broken sword yeah um i actually i actually knew about one leg from knowing about this stuff before so that was cool to see him show up so like uh, do you have any specifics about the character you you have some uh like what what do you know him from um he is a recruitable monster or sometimes just a fighting monster you have to kill in the Shin Megami Tensei series. Okay. Uh, just that he's a smith, like a blacksmith who uh, only has one leg for one whatever reason, I don't remember, and fixes swords. Hmm. Interesting. So, yeah, I mean, like, probably a lot of these are from all sorts of sources that 
we'd be more familiar with if we lived in this culture. <laughs> Does oh, make it a little challenging. He's also like a big, hairy, one-eyed bad guy from Neo who smashes you with a hammer and he's hard to kill. That makes sense. So like, okay, where, what, where's one leg? What, what the hell's this guy doing? Uh, hey, Ungaiku, who's the, the magic smoke mirror. What, can you show us where one leg is? And he shows them the interior of the monster factory. Mm-hmm. And like, oh my god, they're turning yokai into monsters. They actually learn what the villain's plan is a little bit ahead. Mm-hmm. And they see Kato there and like, oh shit, Kato? This uh, is Kato. We <laughs> all have history with this guy. We're not going to tell you about it, but we all have it. And also, Kato's bringing back Yomatsumonu? Oh man, forget it. Now we're leaving. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're supposed to fight a war? impossible i'm an umbrella (laughs) (laughs) i'm an umbrella (laughs) he's a wall yeah it's like i'm an umbrella right wall and the wall sprouts tiny little eyes and a face (laughs) so cute he's like oh yeah i I seem to be a wall (laughs) (laughs) i fought the wall in video games too he's usually a lot more scary i love him in this he's just got these tiny little legs and arms and a tiny little face, like really teeny tiny face in the yeah. like a, a small spot on the wall. Adorable. He's like this gigantic wall. Yeah. Or, or, yeah, Shoujo's like, come on, a wall would be helpful. We, we, we could <laughs> use some. And Kawatoro is really trying to rally everyone and like forcing physically people not to move. Like Itan Momen, he ties up to a post so he can't get away. <laughs> <laughs> and then Azuki Arai is getting up and his foot had fallen asleep, so he can't get moving right away. Yeah. It's like, Azuki Arai, uh, you're the conscious of us all, just knowing that you're with us. And then, like, he gets up really close in his face, like, hmm? 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 (laughs) (laughs) Over and over, like, hmm? Like, Kirby! Yeah, yeah, I... uh, definitely am staying for the war it's okay (laughs) (laughs) but yeah this is what i'm talking about it 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 is a question of is it specific to azuki arai because he just happened to be the last person left in the room (laughs) because he does Uh, cite that he is his his power is not very useful he washes beans (laughs) no we need that for the war okay well i'll Try to wash beans the best I can. Yeah. Okay. And he is ultimately totally key to the final battle. He's the most important character in a He's weird He's the sort reason of way. they win. Yeah. So meanwhile, the villain factory becomes airborne. It is now obviously a creature. It's it's like a kaiju with a city on its back. It's cool. It's like a rocket powered space whale with the city on its back mm-hmm. it, it's rad like, as hell <laughs> yeah kind of like something out of the out of like what you would imagine to come from the matrix mm-hmm. or uh i mean it's very anime because oh, it's, it's a monster so with cities on it <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's like all right we depart for the city of rage which is tokyo <laughs> Because that's where all of the waste is produced, I guess. I guess. I mean, I've never heard Tokyo called that. It's the city of rage. Yeah, that's new to me. There's a few other cities I can think of. 
So they they go. We we cut to the yokai and they're explaining to Dashi the deal with Kato. And it's like, well, he is this personification of the rage of all of the indigenous peoples who have been murdered uh, around the world. I'm like, oh shit, that's not good. Oh. <laughs> that's pretty. That's, that's pretty serious. And of course. He is merging together. He is taking the power of uh, the rage of all of the discarded objects of the world and using them to get revenge against humanity, even though he has a much more specific and uh, personal revenge thing. Uh So Kawahime is like, those who discard their past have no future. She's sort of... She she gets him. She's kind of on his side in a lot of the movie. Yeah, kind of. Uh, she she does this whole thing later on about how she hates humans. Yeah, she gets his point. It's just she doesn't feel that humans should be punished for it. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, there's like a Gen X stoner street person who sees Yatsumono flying <laughs> over and you know, its its foot smashes Osaka Castle on its way by, and he's like, "Ah, it's only Gamera." <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's a friend to children everywhere. Hope there was no kids in Osaka Castle. Just the ah, oh, it's only Gamera, of course. <laughs> it does look Gamera-esque, you know, it's a huge turtle-esque rocket. Yeah, it's, thing. it's got the rocket feet. Yeah. And then the, the, we we cut to a news report like the, it's it's playing at the bar like the sort of the street bar that uh, Sata and his boss are at I believe mm-hmm. where there's a news report and then it gets interrupted by a robot attack in studio you know they're <laughs> reporting on Osaka Castle and then robots like wreck up the news studio yeah. <laughs> And there's, like, major chaos is happening. There's this late-night diner that we see, and a huge robo-skull just drops through the ceiling and destroys everything. Yeah, uh, these robots are brutal. It seems to be, like, actual carnage. There there is obviously a major body count. Like, downtown Tokyo gets fucking destroyed. It gets literally flattened. Except for a few skyscrapers that just, like, go through the beast and become part of it. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. It's like, we'll add, we'll add those skyscrapers to our weird city back. Right. So the yokai, it's kind of a Mount Doom thing. You know, they're, they're all flying to go get rid of uh, their stuff. Uh, Tadashi and Kawahime are on these weird flocks of small birds. <laughs> carrying like <laughs> yeah harnessed on these like baskets woven out of branches <laughs> i loved that it was really cool and then the other three uh azuki arai kawataro and shoujo are all riding on itan momen the big 35 foot cloth that flies mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's like hey, we're not gonna get there in time we're going much too slow so they cling onto a passenger jet's wing for speed and they're all frozen solid (laughs) this was a bad idea this isn't gonna work (laughs) we we get a freeze frame and it says don't try this at home kids (laughs) weird just the the moments that the 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 screen freezes and we get text Every time it's something that's totally bizarre. It's the like the grandpa thing about Azuki mm-hmm. beans. It's very weird. 
So in Monster Jail, we we see Senekasori cuddling up to uh, one leg. And it's sort of trying to tell him about the sword, but has no vocalization, right? Yeah. But like, kind of manages to pantomime to him that the sword needs fixing. What's that? There's a very specific sword of the Kirin that a small boy has, but it's been cut in half. What's that? Uh, you need me to fix it? He's like, Tim, oh, I, well? I really appreciate you rubbing my shins. You, you must be Sinekasori. Like everybody knows that. <laughs> yeah, everybody. I mean, it, it's it it has to be a real thing. There, it has its own oh, Wikipedia yeah. page and everything. <laughs> Sinekasori. So at the roadside kiosk, there's Sata and his drunk boss, uh, and. He, Sata's is like, I'm sure there's going to be this big yokai boom. It's it's coming. I know it. <laughs> and so I was like, no, no, no. Listen, the market forces. <laughs> but Yumotsumono flies above them and the leftover food starts reanimating. Like bones start coming out of like the cooked chicken. It's really creepy. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. I forgot about that. Because we only see just this one shot of it, and then it's them like, oh, shit, what the hell's going on? And then, <laughs> you know, it cuts to uh, the the beast settling on this big cluster of skyscrapers and just crushing down over them. Yeah. With Sata and the boss somewhere underneath in all of that. I don't know if the boss survives. I don't think so. I, I wasn't sure how Sata survived until I realized he just... I guess got into one of the skyscrapers that survived i guess he, i suppose because he ends up on the roof yeah and it looks like he got up you know the normal way with stairs right so yeah i don't know <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard to say yeah we we just do not see him again in between this point where he's underneath the uh the the what's it called the sun sun yes oh fuck uh yeah yeah yasumoto yasu oh fuck we I, were just saying it oh my god yomotsumono yomotsumono yeah okay yeah the, the yasumoto settles over him and then we just don't see him until he shows up and gets drunk <laughs> it's really weird <laughs> i love when he does show up though it's great it, it is really fun so the whole city blacks out smoke billows out like thick cg smoke billows out from uh the the center of the yomotsumono and uh inside agi is dragging one leg to the yomotsumono pit because i think specifically the yomotsumono is supposed to be the pink goo which is sort of like the ghostbusters goo in part two right (laughs) i think that's what it's supposed to be yeah it's weird uh, but uh, Sonekasori jumps to One Leg's defense to to stop her from uh, putting him in the goo because they need him to fix the sword. Uh, he's gonna get beat up again. I mean, it's I what like it's, it. It's what he does. I know, but I don't like it. Well, he doesn't get beat up so much as he gets squished. Uh, robot. It. I think it's the same robot who grabbed the Great Tengu because it's the zip tie robot. He like gets a. Oh yeah. He squeezes around him and it pees. That's right. It pees and it short circuits the robot a bit. He he pees and shorts the robot out and one eye is able to get away. And and he, you know, he knows he's leaving Sinekasori behind. Uh, Sinekasori gets tossed across the room and uh, sticks through like a piece of the fence grating. And uh, Uh Agi is just slapping him up and down. (laughs) 
it's just like again it's it's a hand puppet it it looks like uh the the flap of a hand puppet with silly fur on it and just like slap it up and down it's very muppety it's muppety but he's so cute so it still makes me sad well because he does bleed more apricot juice so it, yeah. it you can tell that it's very badly hurt <laughs> yeah yeah but uh, of course uh the the pain won't last long because uh Sunekasori is tossed into the pit rip yeah that's uh that's more or less the end of him yeah i mean it becomes uh, a sort of um, robo beast that will have to be battled later uh-huh. so the the team flying over they manage to spot one leg on one of the roofs and they take him out and uh, start rebuilding the sword and he's like oh Suneka, sorry uh yeah he's he's fine i, I when i left him he was totally fine the fire is making my eyes water. <laughs> <laughs> uh, doing the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, they meanwhile they're presenting Tadashi with his hero costume for his Kieran Rider outfit. I like the hero costume. It's it's kiddie. It's like it perfectly straddles the line between kiddie and cool. Yeah, in my like opinion. It's, it's fairly traditional, which is appropriate. Like, I'm glad that they stick mostly traditional, and it's got just a little bit of, like, a road warrior aesthetic to it to keep it cool. <laughs> so he does the suiting up montage uh, while the sword is being forged. And meanwhile, the yokai starts spreading word that there's a big darkness party! A festival <laughs> of darkness! The biggest ever! <laughs> I feel like <laughs> I feel like it's like a game of telephone is how this all got. Like nobody was really into the whole yokai war, war but mm. then it just kind of turned into like a darkness thing and then a darkness party. It's funny because it, it almost plays like it's uh, a civic ad for like a, a local festival. Like come on down <laughs> <laughs> on public access television. Yeah, exactly. It, it, come on down to the state fair. It it has that sort of feel to it. Just everybody gathering like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. Even ones who were in the room before and turned down, like the umbrella and the wall. <laughs> like, oh, party. We'll go yeah, to that okay. party. I Weird thought there was going to be a war there. The party, same place at same time as war, yeah. <laughs> Whatever. So uh, on his rooftop, Sata comes out on a rooftop and he sees Tadashi coming on the bird mount. Which is weird, and there's another bird mount, and like a bunch of harnessed birds, which is weird in and of itself, but none of the rest of them are visible to him. Mm-hmm. So he doesn't least... see the cloth or uh, the <laughs> yeah. kawahime in the other mount. He just sees like this bird chair and Tadashi flying another one. Which is already very, very strange. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Tadashi... He comes in and does his one big hero battle, CG cartoon battles, a whole bunch of robots. He was <laughs> flying all over the place like a wuxia. Yeah, he's got like a, a special cloth around the handle of the sword so that it just basically tied to his hand. Yeah, and it just flies him around. Again, it sort of does the fighting, but he has a little bit more agency now that he's taken on the mantle of the Kirin Rider. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's a helicopter one, like a helicopter robot yokai beast thing, and yep. it collides and shreds all of the birds uh, holding up Kawahime. <laughs> oh my god, so many innocent animals get killed in this. So intense. Uh, so, you know, she has to abandon her bird mount. 
And in the chaos, Azuki Arai gets tossed from Itan Momen, and the beans are scattered everywhere because he has this basket of beans that he's always carrying. Yeah, he washes the beans. That's what he does, and that's how yeah. he's going to contribute to the war. He'll wash the beans as best he can, but he's <laughs> missing, what, like 319 of them. Something like that. Or there, I think there's supposed to be 350, and he counts, and there's a bunch missing, so he just yeah. spends the rest of the big battle hunting them down. <laughs> yeah. It's they, like a they leprechaun. Get, they went looking pretty for his far, coin. too. They're everywhere. They're inside. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So Kawataro lands head first. This is where he cracks his plate mm. and he gets really mad. He's like, oh, you guys cracked my plate. I'm going to get you now. Yeah. And they're surrounded by these robots and it looks like, you know, the chips are down. But then every yokai ever shows up. <laughs> um, and this is the scene where I'm like, OK, maybe I believe you that there's 1.2 million in here. Maybe. <laughs> It's incredible. They stretch. Yeah, they, they stretch as far as the eye can see. There's hundreds and thousands of them. And when the robots start attacking them, they get excited. It's like, oh boy, it's a fight festival. <laughs> <laughs> and Kavatara's like, festival? Whatever, sure, yeah, okay, festival. Yeah, fine. <laughs> and they're all having fun. There's uh, Hayakume, Hundred Eyes who he comes in and one of the big robots throws him back into the mass and he crowd surfs. It becomes a mosh pit. (laughs) (laughs) The the robots are so ridiculously outnumbered here. Oh, completely. Because they're all here. (laughs) (laughs) All the millions of spirits of Japan. Yeah, of every inanimate object ever. Yeah. As well as animate objects, just everything. <laughs> and so on one of the rooftops, Sata's just being thrown around and buffered all over the place and bitten by yokai, but he still can't see any of them. Like, he's, mm-hmm. he's just, he's being thrown around by invisible forces and something bites his hand. It's like, what the <laughs> hell's going on? <laughs> and then, miraculously, a cooler full of beer lands right in front of him <laughs> for some reason. yeah. Do we ever find out where that came from? No clue. It just shows up. <laughs> well, it's Kirin beer, you know, it's so appropriate to the Kirin rider. And it, this is an actual beer, which I totally have had. Oh, that's right. The Kirin doesn't really show up. It's just kind of. It's at the very felt. end. There, there's yeah. one moment where he rides it, but yeah. Uh, Karen dropped the beer. Maybe could totally be because it just drops out of the sky, <laughs> and it allows him to see them when he drinks the beer. Suddenly, he sees the yokai all around him. And oh my god, his reaction when he sees it—he's like looking around, and he's just like got his hands in the air. He's like, "It's a great yokai war." Yeah, he does the stand up and <laughs> say this, say the movie title. It's great. <laughs> oh man. I was so happy. <laughs> There's this pottery guy who gets smashed and it, it, it does raise some questions about the, uh, the, the killability of them. They, they don't, they do seem fairly indestructible. Obviously we saw Kawataro get flattened earlier and he was fine. This guy, his head gets smashed. He's all made of pottery and then just bits of him are on the floor and everybody's dancing and fighting on him. It's like, ow, stop dancing on my bits. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, yeah, <laughs> all the all the different spirits have different degrees of killability, and I guess I don't think any of it ever really applies here. No. Well, I mean, now it's a party. Yeah. So th- the danger is over. Oh, yeah, for sure. So Tadashi, he heads down into the beast. He cuts through his force fields with the sword, and he runs into uh, one of these robots who turns out to be Sunekasori bot. Oh, he has to kill his pet. He has to kill him because, you know, he's and it, it fights him, but it's sort of holding back and they start to realize. But then, you know, they fight him and they defeat it. And on death, just really cruelly, it turns back to the bloodied and beaten body of the little Sunekasori <laughs> returns to the hand puppet. Mike must have hated this fucking thing. <laughs> it's so I like he's clearly it's... having a lot of fun with it, and it just it seems to be too silly of one to him to to really like it's cute, and he knows he can exploit the cuteness, but it's also so abstract and such a hand puppet that you're not going to be that cut up about it. <laughs> I mean, it is it is a plushie. <laughs> it's a, such a perfect choice. Yeah, it's just a living plushie. And, more so even than like an Ewok. Oh, way more than an Ewok. This thing, it's surprising whenever it moves. Yeah, it does not look like it should be. It, it's totally hand puppet. Yeah. And Tadashi, he cries like, I won't let him get away with this. So he, he battles Agi and her whip can't break this version of the sword. Now nope. that it's reforged. Yep. Ipondadra's or uh, one leg is too good of a smith. He really is. Uh, and meanwhile, during this battle, we get a bit of a, an idea of how Tokyo is being completely terrorized by monsters all over the place. This is where the cop shoots someone in the head. Oh, yeah. Because, like, a monster is uh, pulling people up into the air with tentacles, and there's a guy who's upside down and screaming, and the cop tries to shoot at the monster and just shoots a dude in the head. <laughs> it's, <laughs> like, funny, but, oh, man. It sounds like, wow, fuck. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> For children, this movie goes so hard. Yeah, and that's all happening around Grandpa's house where they're totally undisturbed. They're just sitting there and watching all of this, just like a hurricane around them. Like, I wonder why nothing's coming here. (laughs) He's just, Grandpa is still holding the Azuki beans. It's the beans, of course. The beans are protecting him. Well, they're also, they're the beans that he got being, uh the Kieran Ryder, so they're special beans. Oh, right, yeah. And we cut from the beans to Azuki Arai, who's been bean hunting all over the thing, and he's gotten down to his last few. So yep. he's, like, on the peripheries of the great final battle. <laughs> yeah, he's just wandering around, like, the edges. Yeah. And uh, Tadashi faces Kato, but Kato's power is obviously still way beyond... Uh, Tadashi, like he—he's clearly the most powerful yokai, right? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, he's got the powers of a Nazi wizard. I which, guess that's kind of the point. Yeah, and remember, Nazi wizards were a thing. Nazis were into wizards. That was—that was something. They were they really, really into cool. it. Yeah. That—that uh, <laughs> that is just—it's a thing with any sort of hate group. You know, the KKK have grand oh, wizards God, they have, too. Yeah, you know, that's yeah, it's a were. thing. Yeah, I like. I do not think any of that is coincidental with his imagery here. I think no. it's very intentional. Now that you mention it, yes, yes, indeed. 
so he asks Kawahime how she's liked being a yokai. And this is where she has that speech. She's like, I hate it. I hate humans. They're all terrible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but of course, the, the main point is, I don't want to take revenge on them because revenge only proves that you're human. And, uh, you know, th- that's not the way of the yokai. Yeah, yeah. Revenge is a human thing. I'm above that shit. Yeah, we'll we'll deal out some direct, immediate justice, you know, as it suits us, because that's sort of our purpose. But yeah, I'm going to get revenge against all of humanity. That's stupid. (laughs) That's not how we work. Mm -hmm. And Kato tries to kill her. He fires like a kill blast from his hands at her. And uh, Tadashi reflects it with the sword. And Azuki Arai triumphantly holds up his final bean. Hooray! And he holds it up, and he happens to be right next to Agi and Kato. <laughs> and they're both looking at him like, oh, I guess you don't care. <laughs> <laughs> he starts to back away. He's like, I'm just going to sit down here and wash my beans. You know, don't mind me. He's on the end of, like, a two-by-four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> it's obviously setting up, a, like, a seesaw thing. Yeah, it's like if you had a shot of, like, uh, a long plank of wood with like a can of paint on one end of it. It's like, oh well, come on now. <laughs> <laughs> and Wiley Coyote just sat down. Sakato opens up the portal, you know, to the the pink goo. And this is where Agi's thing is like, well, uh, you know, the two of us jump in. It's like, no. <laughs> yeah, she, he just fucking stabs her. Well, she rushes up to him, and he has a sword out and runs her through with it. And he's talking about, like, ah, your love for me has been such a pain in the ass. It's such a hindrance to my whole hate deal. I'm all about hate, don't you get it? Yeah, if I fuse with you, I might have a positive feeling. Yeah, I don't want any of that. I'm about hate. (laughs) Your love, this is not what I want. And she... You know, she tears up, and that's the end of her. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't work out for her. Uh, going into revenge for love, I guess? I don't get her character's motivation, honestly. She just didn't think the leopards would eat her face. I guess so. She just uh, she was looking for something different. Yeah. So Sata stumbles in, hammered. <laughs> 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 on, on like the second floor of their battle arena <laughs> and he he looks and you know he's drunk and he sees kawahime who was his childhood crush he's like hey and he just walks right off the ledge <laughs> <laughs> and he falls and you know where he's gonna land of course he lands on the other side of uh azuki arai who is sent flying <laughs> just <laughs> Beans flying everywhere. Uh, Azuki just sent uh, Azuki Arai just sent like launched in an arc across the room, and Kato has already you know jumped into the pink goo, and one Azuki bean lands in there with him. <laughs> and he, as he's like melting into goo and reforming into whatever he's gonna take, the stop song, <laughs> <laughs> the Azuki beam. The Azuki Bean theme song. <laughs> How about, you know, this upbeat, poppy, kind of light reggae ska sort of thing about how great Azuki Beans are, how good they are for you. Just like Grandpa said. <laughs> <It's> just... <laughs> 
he's defeated by the beans. The bean, a single bean defeated him. And it goes outside. All of the robots start falling apart. <laughs> I guess the beans saved everyone. <laughs> well, he washed the bean. It was clean. It didn't have any hate. That's it right. Was it was cared for. It was it was perfectly washed, and beans are pure and good. Yep, as the song will tell you. Over and over. <laughs> Azuki beans are pure. I don't remember. It's how something it goes. like that. Yeah. yeah. And Kawataro, you know, he leads a big victory cheer, and then the machine goes nuclear, and he is launched thousands of feet into the air, like <laughs> off a nuclear blast. Uh, and, and the neck lady's neck, we just see like that, her head flying. Yeah, just billowing. <laughs> Every yokai, it's just like they're having fun, just cheerfully being scattered by a nuclear shockwave, just riding it, like, woo! <laughs> I mean, all the people in Tokyo are dead, but hey, as long as the yokai are having fun. Well, I, I guess it's not a nuclear explosion because it just seems to be a small area that's destroyed. But, yeah. you know, it's uh, some of it is, <laughs> I mean, I, an amount of it, I guess, is taking place on the astral plane or whatever. Yeah, uh, the cosmology of Hard where to say. anything <laughs> is here. Yeah, it's kind of confusing. And Tadashi rides out on the Kirin. It's the only shot we get of it just flying overhead and the scales dropping, which is what we see at the beginning. And so it, it's what we saw at the start is one of its scales falling on his chest. Oh, okay. Yeah. So as the night's ending, we get Shigeru Mizuki himself appearing on a little view screen as the great leader to all yokai, basically. <laughs> And it just it says, like, wars must not happen. They only make you hungry. And then everyone <laughs> walks away into the horizon. <laughs> they, they do the conga line into the distance. Yep. Oh, yeah, I love that. Just like the others. But it's like a thousand times more. Because well, there's millions of them. Yeah, they're just flying off into the sky. Uh, I'd be curious to know how many individual CGI models they really had. There must be a lot. And then there's also just a ton of costumes because there's clearly yeah. a lot of actual practical outfits. Oh, yeah, yeah. Those are my favorite. They are the best. We've mentioned very few of them because there's just so many background ones, but there's tons of them. There's really cool. I like the guy who's uh, an all black rubber suit with uh, the eye stalks on top of his head <laughs> that he's always like hanging through grates and stuff and like, oh, yeah, <laughs> heckling. Great. Uh, so, Kawahime is cradling the Sunekasori, restored, somehow back, fine now. Yep. Uh, and Sata, Sata and Tadashi both wake up in the ruins. And this is where, like, he can't see her now anymore. Like, he's probably hung over real bad. Not oh, yeah. Wake up in the wreckage, really hung over. Like, what did I do last night? <laughs> as, like, as, like, the street is... It's just like chunks of building on the street. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Tadashi lies to Sata because he's asking about Kawahime and he says, oh, yeah, she remembered you and spoke of you. You really, you know, you really made an impression. And yeah, she was really happy to see you. Yeah. Which is weird. But this it's very important because this little white lie it's he says it's the first time he'd ever told a little white lie, and this is what makes him an adult. Yeah, which uh, in turn is what kind of cuts him off from seeing the yokai world again. 
yeah, he no longer has that childhood access to it, and it cuts to him. It, it, it's years later, because he's a teenager now. It's yeah. a different actor. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> he's he's getting ready for school, and Sonekasori is trying to like cuddle up to him, but he's invisible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of sad. Oh. Of course it gets worse, because fuck Sonekasori, I guess. Well, the thing is, he goes up, He he's uh, following... Tadashi, who like leaves for school and who doesn't see him, you know, he's a sad sigh. Yeah. Like, oh. And then there's Nazi boots at his uh, face and he looks up and it's Kato who can see him, of course. Of course, because Kato powers. But Kato's not a bad guy anymore. He's got beans in his eyes. Wait, what? Did you not notice that his pupil no. was a bean? Oh, fuck. <laughs> No, man, okay. Because he's, he's Azuki. A... Yeah, he's Azuki Kato now, so maybe he's going to spread a message of peace? I don't know. Maybe. Okay, <laughs> well, that's... You know what? I want that to be the truth, so that the poor Sunegasori can just get a happy ending. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure that... I, I don't think he necessarily has any negative intentions at this point, because he does have the bean eye, which suggests that he was merged with the bean and now can't fully be evil. Maybe it, it gives him sort of a balance now. Yeah, um, hmm. either way, it's not clear or told or explained, just like anything else. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that that is the end. We We end on sort of a cliffhanger of the two of them encountering each other, which... Uh, now there is a sequel, so I don't know. Uh, apparently they do come back, but I don't know uh, how much of it is based on the same thing because it's much later. It's 15 yeah. years later. Oh, yeah. I loved this. Even <laughs> It's a movie that like there's a lot of stuff that you need to understand, but you don't really need to. No, it's true. Like I, Definitely the bean thing left me a little uncertain. I definitely needed to give it a second look, knowing all of that stuff and watching it. And like, okay, I get it, I get it. I see how it all fits together. It's just, I'm, I I don't understand the background to it. That's all. That's fine. I get yeah. its point now that I see the movie and can put it all together. It's like, I, I get why. Yeah. I just don't, I don't have the reference point for it. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, fun. It's goofy. It's very silly. <laughs> oh, it's it's way sillier than the than the previous three. It's got a lot of that Gamera energy, mm -hmm. which I think those ones all needed because the best one was the one where they had kids. where they had a hundred of them and they had kids and they were fighting a giant monster. Well, that that's the weird thing about these other yokai movies is that only the second one is based around some kids and the other two are just these weird adult stories. And it's like the, the yokai don't fit in these stories here. It really does work. Like it, it totally makes sense. All of the stuff fits together. Yeah. Like I don't believe that the yokai are interested in a legal contract, uh, a, a yeah. deed to land. That's a piece of paper. I, yeah, this is totally the best characterization of the yokai is like, we're not going to go to war, but if you're going to hold a party, we'll show up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, that's that's how I feel like these characters should be. And I think the second one was closest to that. I, I think this one might be my favorite. Interesting. I think I might still go for Spook Warfare as my number one, but uh, this one probably second. It is a lot of fun. I did definitely really enjoyed it. And this one, there's a lot of stuff in it. Just there's so many yokai to dig into. If I were to get more of a grounding in yokai history, I might 
uh, start to lean more towards this one? Yeah. Um, I mean, the second one is a very close second. It, mm. it, it's almost a tie. I love the second one. Just how big of a jump the second one was second one was from the first really did it some favors and then the third one just felt like more of the first again but along with some ghosts yeah (laughs) well i mean it was more just ghosts along with a few yokai really as we recall the document though Uh, there was a document i mean the document stuff was pretty fun the document was much like the lord's condition thing it's just that <laughs> there there was a lot of amusement to be had around it <laughs> but yeah this one's great i mean i love Mike. i'm hyped to see this second one when that finally hits blue in north america whenever that'll be who knows i mean arrow seem to be the most likely ones to release it since they did these they do a lot of recent Mike. i mean the guy's prolific <laughs> he has so many <laughs> movies <laughs> It's tough to keep up. Let me see. How many movies does he have? Uh, wow. God damn. <laughs> Holy fuck. I mean, I don't know. So many. <laughs> his, his his Wikipedia page, like, you have to scroll uh, one full. It's just like five pages, you know, five screens worth of movies in a list. It's insane. <laughs> wow. Anyway. Uh, this is replaced in the stacks with 48 Hours, Ooh, one of the okay. uh, original buddy cop comedies. I guess the original buddy cop comedy, the one that kind of launched the genre in the 80s. All right. So directed by Walter Hill, who's a really important action guy, uh, starring, of course, Nick Nolte and Eddie Murphy. Oh, right. This one. I, I haven't film, seen it. Film debut of Eddie Murphy. Cool. Yeah. And uh, uh, him just uh, it it really was a huge breakout performance because they just kind of threw him in there and he was allowed to improvise a lot. And they just uh, he he really was able to break out with it. It it, it created the concept of, you know, the the tough by the line, like by the book cop with uh, funny guy, (laughs) (laughs) which dominated the 80s huge genre oh that's like every cop movie pretty much eddie murphy had two different franchises <laughs> oh right yeah there was beverly hills cop and what was the other one this one 48 hours oh, right 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 right, right. <laughs> uh, so yeah uh, 48 hours is the next and i've also got another 48 hours after that uh, oh, I, I saw both of these when i was really young but not in years okay yeah i didn't know they, they made a sequel to 48 hours I'm pretty sure I saw it in the theater as a kid. Oh, wow. For whatever reason, the Lethal Weapon movies, 48 Hours, I think the second one, maybe not, because I don't know when that came out. <laughs> oh, I never saw a Lethal Weapon movie. Oh, really? I was, I, my parents were really into them, I guess. Uh, I, I've always sort of enjoyed them. I saw probably the the first four in the theater. Oh, wow. I definitely saw the fourth one myself, and mm-hmm. that one's not great. got a really fun opening sequence with the guy with a flamethrower anyway so yeah uh, next in this deck is 48 hours uh do you have any last thoughts on the great yokai war before we move on to part two uh yeah i guess i'm gonna go out and eat some beans some azuki beans (laughs) oh yeah (laughs) they're good for you supposedly 
by Grandpa. And we're back for part two, where we're talking about Goodbye 20th Century, a film by Darko Mitrovsky and Alexander Popovsky, a Macedonian film. Uh, first one of these I ever saw. I can't. I can't confidently say that I understand what it's about. I have ideas, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, this one is—it's up in the air. There, There's—I I have theories as well. It's—I'm it, not sure how much of it is art theory and how much of it is internet theory. You know, as we were speaking of it, uh, the the 4chan nature of this—that we're not in the apocalypse, we're in the B apocalypse, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> the slash b slash apocalypse uh oh, oh. Is, is what i'm saying you, you know what i'm see. saying yeah it's random now. uh it, it is random it's real random it's a real low random at times and i mean this is right around the time i was getting on the internet so it does have kind of that feel of the early outlaw early internet and also just it's it's a man religion. What's this, this religion bullshit? Religion in 2000 in this economy? Come on. Uh, yep. It's very, it's shot like it has something really important to say, and it's scored like it has something really important to say, but it's really, uh, really satirical, really, really cartoony, actually. And it might not have. It might not be as clever, or might not even be trying to be as clever as uh, as it originally comes off. This uh, was the country of Macedonia's submission to the Oscars that year. Oh, it, it, it was it was not nominated. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, hmm. you know, <laughs> Macedonia was like, hey, <laughs> how about this one? Uh, I I don't know. They they just yeah, they were like, no, I don't think so. It didn't make the five. <laughs> No, uh, this is uh, 1998. Uh, let me see. I'm going to look it up what, what the five were. But uh, I actually have seen another Macedonian film. I, I've oh. been trying to think of it. And I have seen one that I think has the Santa guy in it. <laughs> uh, it, it was called. Uh, I'll, I'll find out in just a sec. Uh, wow, this is not the right list, you son of a bitch. <laughs> Did it just give me... Uh, stupid. Uh, let's see here. The best foreign language film... Oh, this was the year that Roberto Benigni won. And crawled over the whole audience. Oh! Legendary <laughs> best foreign language film Oscar, actually. <laughs> I think I heard about that. I definitely watched this one in real time. So, uh, Life is Beautiful, uh, he won, and instead of, like, gutting to the aisle, he just, like, crawled over the seats and the people, and uh, he <laughs> made just a really ridiculous speech. Uh, I actually haven't seen that, or Central Station from Brazil, uh, Children of Heaven from Iran, which I think I have seen, The Grandfather from Spain, and Tango from Argentina. I mean, really generic titles for most of these, and yeah, I'm not familiar with them. I have seen other stuff by Carlos Soro, who did the Argentinian film. Oh, cool. Yeah, they definitely sound like movies that if you 
dropped the titles in front of me and said, have you seen this? I'd be like, I have no idea. Hard to say. Uh, Life is beautiful, you'd know. That's mm. the Holocaust clown one. But the right. the one that got made rather than the one that's still in a vault. <laughs> the Jerry Lewis one. The Day the Clown Cried. Oh, right. This is like the same plot, but it won an Oscar. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, Goodbye 20th Century, oh, it's a strange thing. It feels very edgelordy. Not just edgy, Not it's 90s edgy for sure, but specifically 90s edgelordy. It, it's, at first I was thinking parts of it feel kind of Looney Tunes inspired, like particularly the fight with uh, the Joker, mm. um, which is a thing that happens in this. Uh, but because it's like a lot of like cartoon sound effects, but... I don't, it's not so much Looney Tunes. I'm thinking about what kind of cartoon this reminds me of, and what I'm coming up with is somewhere in between Ren and Stimpy and Family Guy. I'd say like the Oblongs, uh, which oh, is that one. right in between those. Uh, it, it's like if Fisher Play, Fisher Price, you know, wobbly people were yeah. a family. It's it's oh. like a family that lived near a nuclear power dump and they're all deformed. Okay, okay. It, it was a, it was an animated series. It's edgy. Th- this is definitely in that. Like I, it is exactly what you're talking about. It's right in that space where it's sort of a family sitcom and it's cartoony, but it's real edgy. You know, it's it's the version of it scripted by the four Chaniverse. <laughs> and trying to look like it also kind of reminds me at least the first part kind of makes me think of dune oh sure i mean it's got all of those post-apocalyptic future past things like it is a post-apocalyptic uh i guess it's supposed to just be macedonia in uh, yeah. uh 2019 but anywhere it's just like uh, mad max or uh any any of those post-apocalyptic futures this is just one that's more centered on religion because it's I, I feel like that's the main point is that it's a criticism about will it you know even if the world ends are we still going to be doing this make believe game I, I feel like that's sort of the the point that they're trying to make like it's very angry about religion but it's also doing it in a I, I think we've talked about this before the YouTube atheist sort of way <laughs> like, <laughs> come on. Uh, so speaking of religion, we open with a Bible quote, which of course. I, I've never read the Bible, the whole thing. Uh, I've read bits and pieces of it, but I have I haven't heard this quote. There's a few famous ones that they usually pull from for movies, but uh, this isn't one of them. The almighty Lord got angry in his heart and said, I will destroy all evil hearts, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I made them. Uh, from yeah, the I book of Genesis, apparently. Yeah, I, I think that's uh, before the flood. Okay, okay. <clears throat> uh, and it's like, okay. God is wrathful uh, in, in the Old Testament. Uh, God destroys humanity a few times because it's just like, well, you guys aren't getting it. <laughs> Which, to be fair, we don't <laughs> ever. <laughs> and, <laughs> And, and it's I guess time we're due. But yeah, uh, th- this is uh, them living a post-apocalypse where it, it's like they, well, you guys didn't get it, and you know they're living the same stupid life. They're, you know, the the world has ended, and they're still trying to stick to these 
weird religious formalities, even though all other society has crumbled. Mm-hmm. And we're trying to do this, even though I think another point that the movie's trying to make is that we think we're all sophisticated and stuff. We're just mm-hmm. animals that yeah that think we're tra- that we're we're just like trained animals who've trained ourselves and each other but we are animals we haven't really ascended above that is i think yeah. what the movie's trying to say i would agree with that this is definitely a movie that's really interested in bodily functions <laughs> <laughs> oh the nuclear fart it's very Super Dave-esque. It's much like the one that destroys a hospital in the Extreme Adventures of Super Dave. <laughs> this is like, th- this could be in the Extreme Adventures of Super Dave universe. This is the post-apocalypse <laughs> of that. Mm-hmm. In fact, if at first... any point in this, if at any point in this movie they had like come across a crater and Super Dave had rolled out of it and been like, Fuji, uh, I mean, it would have worked. I, I would have, yep, that, that <laughs> totally tracks. There he is. Uh. Um, so the very first thing we see after the Bible quote is, of course, the blasted, the blasted wasteland and just the title card saying Macedonia, the Balkans, 2019. <laughs> it could be. Beat, yeah, could be. I mean, it probably still is. This, this is just some rocky outcrop. And then it pauses and it says dot, dot, dot. Only the animals survived. And so, here I'm already thinking there's a sentence missing in there. So what what I mean what what I was getting into earlier I think what they mean about how only the animals survive they they are talking about the human animal mm-hmm. as well and um, just that humans are animals and that it's only animalistic humans who have survived there's no real semblance of uh, society uh, there there's no uh, form of real civilization beyond just weird ritual. Yeah, yeah. That's definitely kind of what I'm what I'm getting from this too because everybody here is weird. Very <laughs> strange. It, yeah, to put it lightly. And um in the when we go back to the present time and we're in the funeral uh situation, everybody there is just completely animal like too. Like this that's definitely yeah. they're all weird. Like you say a, a statement that like the human animal is the only thing that survived. After our title card, we are opening with uh, what looks like a caravan of people on a pilgrimage being led by uh, this fucking guy. <laughs> He's, so this is the guy with the one eye, right? Yeah, Cyber Priest. Um, right. No, there's only two characters that have names in this. Uh, Kuzman, who is Immortal. arguably our protagonist protagonist he's the main character first part yeah main in character the first in the part, first yeah part. and uh peter who is not the main character in the second part but he's the only one referred to by name i mean he's sort of the focal point character he's there and he's the yeah. santa i'd just call him santa uh, oh no no peter oh. isn't santa peter is the landlord oh okay the guy whose brother died oh right okay well, yeah, I guess the other guy, he is listed in the credits as Santa. And he's sort of the main character yeah. of the third part. He, he or second is, yes. part. There's that one interstitial. Second. Yeah, and 
the argument could be made that the barber is the real main character, but eh, I don't Who know. Knows? I mean, there are no Who main knows? characters. The, the main character is the human race and all their uh, stupidity. <laughs> so These... one of the things I was thinking is how uh, there, there are all these weird abstract individuals who don't make a lot of sense. And it's much like the society that still exists in this presumably post-nuke uh, universe or post Y2K might be the issue. This is late 98 that this comes out and it is talking about New Year's 99. So it could it, be Y2K. Uh, it kind of feels like a post 9-11 movie, even though 9-11 hasn't happened. Right. It's 98. Is it? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. But uh, in terms of the thing with the, the excuse me, the, the religion and their weirdness, it's like and and I think it speaks to the general point of it that they're following all these rituals and performative things that they do individually, just as their societies run around these weird performative rituals, but they have no context anymore. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's the point of the movie, that it's criticizing religion as uh, no longer having any context in the way it is now used. It's sort of now just... It's now just a, a thing where it guides people to do all these things, but they don't know why they're doing them. They don't uh, attach to the lessons that they originally came with. Yeah, like like they're just going through the motions, kind of. Yeah. Uh, which like is definitely... zombies in in like a Romero movie. Oh, or in Bio Zombie. In Bio Zombie, you know, you come back to the mall and you hang out because that's what you did in life. <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, in in the post-apocalypse, you come up, you still hang out at the church and you do churchy things, even though, you know, all of society is burnt down. You live in a gravel pit. Yeah, but, you know, you follow the guy with the nicest bling because sure. he seems to have he seems to know what's going on. God has uh, blessed him. Yeah, he has the bling, so he must know what's up. Uh, <laughs> yeah, this uh, this cyber priest is the most 1998 priest character ever. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, like, big trench coat, no shirt, just open, hairy chest. It's like if the Preacher series, the Preacher comic book series, uh, went to Macedonia. You know, Preacher Macedonia, this is, like, the kind of dudes they would encounter. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. Also in his caravan are, like, these armed... Uh, Various different types of Mad Max looking guards. Yeah, you, you got just like a, a whole, it's like a humongous end crew. Yeah, these two, I guess they're nuns. The grieving ladies, I, I think they're professional mourners. Okay. Because they have uh, these outfits that have all the crying faces on them that are always present, even if they cover up their own faces, their hands are covered by additional faces. Yeah, their little uh, puppet show thing. So uh, they have to keep coming out and they performatively grieve for this guy, even though, you know, they're there to see him executed. It's just sort of their yeah. purpose. Yeah, nobody nobody present is actually sad that this man is dead. No, and again, it's just this religious ritual for, again, them doing this performance because it is a religious thing that they're concerned about. And it's like, well, maybe we'll get right with God by killing you now. Well, <laughs> I can see why a religious person in a post-apocalypse would think that they would need to kill this guy after what he did. Well, sure. I mean, <laughs> he did some weird stuff. 
but he had a holy vision you don't understand. He had a he didn't he had a boner. He had a holy vision of a boner. <laughs> he had a bonerly vision. Uh, yeah, oh, we'll we'll get into that. <laughs> So at the end of their journey, which they make for oh oh, and of course we miss the most important guy in our uh, caravan, Kuzman, uh, who at first seems like he's going to be a Jesus figure. Uh, he's yeah. not. He's sort of uh, an anti-Jesus figure, I think. Yeah. He he, he becomes immortal through blasphemy. Mm-hmm. The ground won't take him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The ground won't take him. Uh, which, damn. <laughs> that's badass and also his existence is proof that there is uh something to religion in this universe or there there is some sort of supernatural force yeah. uh, there, religion is uh questionable because i mean all of their kids die off and stuff and it seems like they believe he is the cause of it because he <laughs> got it on with this painting <laughs> Do we want to talk about his 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 whole painting thing? I know that isn't quite yet, but it's sort of central to the setup of the film. I think we have to. Okay. Because nothing that happens here will make sense without it. Yeah, I it's mean, weird it doesn't the way make they sense sequence anyway. It. <laughs> I guess it's more badass to have just this immortal guy and not, not know why he's immortal first. So he's immortal because he was he's in church because for whatever reason it's the post-apocalypse. They still have a church and they still spend a lot of time just hanging out in the church. I guess there's not a lot else to do. Well, you know, I mean, the the apocalypse happened because we turned our back on God, you see, probably. They they don't go into it, but probably. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> we really have no idea how the apocalypse happened. Uh and and I think that's sort of the point. Maybe oh, yeah. they don't either. But the he he's like he's there's this fresco with a saint in it, did did he say what saint? I don't think he said what saint. They, which I think is interesting because they might not even know. It Maybe might not. just be that disconnected from the origin of the fresco. Well, could very well be, yeah. And yeah, he he thinks she's making come hither eyes at him. <laughs> yep. So he got God gave him an urge, or rather a boner. Yeah. So. He's very turned on by the religious fresco, and he, in some way or another, consummated with it. He stripped down naked, and yeah, he somehow fucked this fresco. Yeah, so, somehow. And I, in a way that people know about it, I I don't know. Yeah. Like I feel like it's not just he confessed. I feel like someone happened upon him. In flagrante delicto, you know? Well, it's, it's like what happened with Benedetta. You know, she was sucking on the tit of the statue and she had to stop because somebody yeah. showed up. Oh, hey. But he it was naked. Like he, it seems like he got a little bit further along in the act. Uh, yeah. And then, for possibly totally unrelated reasons, a bunch of the children in the village just randomly died off. Yeah, randomly died off. And there was bloody tears coming from the fresco so the <laughs> priest decided that this meant that him fucking the fresco meant that the saint was taking retribution by killing the children which i would say is a pretty reasonable conclusion to draw because of the blood tears but 
I also wonder if it's not intended to be uh, something supernatural with that rel- with that element at all, uh, but rather someone killing children and then framing him by just putting some blood on the fresco and knowing that, I mean, painting fucker is a really easy guy to pin <laughs> everything on. <laughs> right. I mean, it's um, never brought up, but that kind of just, it, it's, it is a place my mind went. <laughs> Maybe it's just uh, my reading of true crime cinema or of uh, literature. It is brought up. <clears throat> okay. It is uh, not the tears, not the tears, but the killing okay. of the children. Right. Uh, there, uh, when he goes into uh, like '90s Rambo mode, right. he's going through the village, and there's like this uh, patriotic singing, and one guy reading a thing about an emperor. Uh, the the new emperor hates children, and children make him vomit. So right. he rounded up all the children, and it's it's this whole thing, but. But it's all happening in the background, so yeah, and I do none of the characters that. react to it. Mm-hmm. So I think this emperor has been doing something to the children, and the blood painting—who knows? And the priest is like, "I'm I mean, just going to use this to kill the painting <clears throat> fucker." I mean, it, it could totally be a thing where. I, is, obviously, there is some sort of supernatural thing with this. He is immortal, as it turns yeah. out. He's Kuzma the immortal. Uh, and he maybe wasn't before he had sex with the painting. Maybe the... This is the argument that I think maybe the movie is putting forth. And it's, it's like, we're reading into religion the morals we want to read from lessons written down thousands of years ago, where uh, we're not looking at empirical evidence. And it's a thing where... Uh, maybe the saint was into it and the comer hither look was real and then she's like okay now you're immortal and you can sort of be a god in this wasteland and I don't know it's it's <laughs> is it a curse is it not a curse it, the 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 ways of god are supposed to be mysterious to us so uh, yeah. why why do we claim to know so much about his intent in the way we live oh that's simple we claim to know so much about his intent so that we can use that to uh control you well yeah i guess so and i think that's also the point of this movie Mm -hmm. uh yeah so they do like they're doing this whole ritual uh when they get to their destination which is this ship that's run aground on top of a mountain rad Uh, yeah totally rad. uh what was that movie uh you haven't seen did you see devil story oh i don't know there's a shipwreck in a mountain with mummies inside it Maybe not that one, but I have seen shipwrecks in mountains before, um, usually in a post-apocalypse. Right. I think this one, it's just there's also the horse that's running back and forth and the guy's trying to kill the horse because he thinks the horse is to blame. It's like a possessed horse from the mummy ship. Oh, OK. OK. <laughs> yeah, I don't think you've seen it. You, you no. know what I'm talking about because it's <laughs> it, it's distinct. come up, though. Oh, yeah. I've watched it at least two or three times since we've done this podcast. <laughs> so yeah the priest is doing this whole ritual they're pouring salt or something like it onto his hands probably uh, salt probably salt he's salt bowing makes sense mm-hmm. he's bowing down before the ship because the mast of the ship looks like a cross and one of the mad max guards is like hey didn't there used to be a tree over there oh and, yeah he's like well you have to get used to things not being there anymore 
I like they, they, trees too, but I have to just live with the fact there's no trees. It's weird because he's not complaining. He's not doing anything. He's like, man, didn't there used to be a tree over there? And just immediately it is a political argument and everyone has to save face. Oh, God. Like anytime anyone says mask, everyone has to say what their opinion is. Well, this is, again, why I keep thinking of it in the framework of late 90s Internet. And this feels like a relic of that culture where any hot button issue, like you mentioned anything sort of vaguely adjacent to something that is a stress point for people politically. And suddenly you're in a flame war and you're like, you're just like, no, no, I was just I'm just passing the day. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I just noticed there isn't a tree there anymore. I know there's no trees. That's I'm sorry. Uh, one of the Mad Max guards accidentally just fires off his gun, you know, because we're animals and we should have things like this because we're just dumb. This is what people do. Like, you can see tons of videos of this happening all over Eastern Europe. This is just a thing people do at occasions is fire automatic weapons into the air. Yeah, well, it, it... He fired it into the ground accidentally because he wasn't holding it right. And he didn't even notice. The other guy's like, hey, fuck you, man. Fuck you. He almost shot me. He's like, oh, what's the problem? I mean, I literally saw a video on, like, Reddit the other day that was exactly <laughs> the same happening in the Balkans, like, two days ago. So, <laughs> Oh, there's a whole subreddit yeah. for this shit. Yeah. So they're about to get to the actual, uh, I guess, redemption part. The priest... Uh, reaches down his hand, and I guess the Jesus fellow is supposed to kiss his ring, and he's about to, but then he's like, no, I actually didn't do anything wrong. I was just struck with an urge. By God, God gave me this urge. So, you know, that's just how I am. And he just goes off on this whole rant. I don't remember all of what he says, but basically, like, I didn't do anything wrong. Yeah, what's wrong with boners? Boners aren't evil. Boners aren't evil. Boners aren't evil. And then <laughs> they shoot him. They shoot him. Yeah, yeah, they shoot they him. Shoot him a, a lot. lot. It's like it's like that guy in RoboCop. <laughs> oh God, or um, uh, Hitler at the end of Inglorious <laughs> Bastards. Yeah, they're just like turning him to mulch, but it doesn't take. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I like this bit because we've got the the grievers, the nuns with their little uh, crying face hand puppets, and they're doing their. Legitimately my favorite thing in the whole movie, the the mourner outfits with all the many faces. Really cool. Just a, just a, a neat design. We, we were comparing the first film quite a bit to Studio Ghibli. I could see this being a, a sort of a Ghibli-esque monster. This could oh. fit right in in Spirited Away. Yeah, like a cloaked three-headed um, crying ghost or something. Yeah, totally. It's yeah. it's pretty rad. I, I really dig this design. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And of course, yeah, they're standing close to the grave, so they get blood splattered all over one of their faces. Yeah, their their chant is like so over the top performative, like "Oh my poor lost son, you died so," but like worse than I'm doing it. Well, it's it's obviously a performance. Like there, <laughs> it is a rehearsed performance, and like. There's a point where they get interrupted and they, you know, they have to shoot her. Maybe it's when he's doing all the yelling and they have to go back to it and they just go through it really, really quickly and yeah. perfunctory because they know all of the words. It's like, well, you were taken from us too soon. 
Yeah, and then they have to take cover behind their fake faces for a bit <laughs> while the shooting takes place. Because they don't yeah. want to have to watch that stuff. That's why they have the extra faces so the faces can watch, but uh, they personally don't have to. <laughs> little, like little peekaboo heads. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the first time he gets up, he's like listening to their wailing, and he's just got this <laughs> like annoyed look on his face like, guys, cut it out. This is and, not really working. Yeah, and yeah, like he gets up like four different times, uh, interrupting it, and then they just keep shooting him and shooting him, and it never takes. But they have to keep doing the formalities, you know. How how do you st- like how do you live life if you don't live it by these formal uh, procedures? So I think <laughs> I think that the priest, in order to get out of this impossible situation, the priest had to make up a formal sounding thing on the spot to be like, you are truly cursed. The ground won't take you. But should you come this way again, we will take all that you love. Uh, you, If you want to go back to where you can, but only as a dead man. Right, because he, he has a, a small child, right? There is a small child. Uh, I don't know I, if it's his child. I, that's my impression that it's supposed to be his kid. Because, uh, like, the kid keeps wanting to go to him. Uh, mm. But, yeah, they, they keep the kid. It's like, okay, you know, under threat of killing his child, you just have to leave town. You're exiled because we can't deal with you here. I, I do absolutely think it is a situation where the priest is just, well, this isn't going to work. What else can I do? Uh, well, you're you're exiled. We're keeping your kid. Just stay the hell away from us. There's a bit where, like, after he's been shot a bunch, the priest, like, looks at his gun, tests it by shooting one of his guards to see oh, if it yeah. actually works. He's like, eh, it still works. Like, uh, no one is all that phased by it. <laughs> no. uh, the one guy's even like, <laughs> and takes his gun. Right. Free gun. As the the army or army as the armed escorts leaving the one guy stays behind he's like well that's all from us <laughs> so long <laughs> we're we're wrapped for the picture no leo, more leo, leo, that's all folks yeah, yeah no more mad backs guys we, we we're we're done you're just gonna follow this guy now uh he'll meet up with santa claus <laughs> <laughs> and peter peter yep um but first we have to meet the barber Oh, right, the barber, who was... Actually, we're a ways away from Peter. So the Uh, the barber was... uh, Was he with them to begin with? No. Because it seems Uh, like he's from the town. He showed up uh, that night on his bicycle in the feather storm. Right. Because Kuzmin just sits by the open grave that's meant to be his until nightfall, and this barber shows up on a bicycle. Real goofy-looking guy. Yeah. He's um, he's uh not unlike uh Petra, that's his name from Strangler vs Strangler. He's got oh, that kind of real distinct, weird Eastern European guy look. Parla, parl, per, something with a P. I know that. I know what you mean. Yeah, it's the eyebrow as well. Yeah, eyebrow in his case. Yeah, he has a one single brow, and it is thickest at the middle, where it comes to like a diamond point. It's incredible. <laughs> like this guy's brow is supreme. Yep, and he just approaches Kuzmin and uh, starts slathering him with shaving cream. Sharpens up his blade. He's like, and then he's like, "Oh, hey, do you want to shave?" 
It's it's like when you're uh, stuck at a traffic light and, and someone like starts oh, washing God. your window against your will. Yes, and then it's like, <laughs> now pay me for the thing that you didn't want me to do. Exactly. This is the post-apocalypse version of it. Nobody's got a car that they're around, but you know, <laughs> you could get a shave. Yeah, it's like, come on, a nickel and I'll shave you two nickels and uh, I'll uh, cut your hair too. Or how about this? You let me prophesize, and I'll give you two nickels. Mm-hmm. Like, how about I, I just I smash that. you in the face? <laughs> yeah, how about I don't have any of that stuff? Thanks. And it's like, okay, well, how about you smash me in the face, and you don't give a shit? So Kuzman smashes him in the face. He's like, do you give a shit? I'm like, I absolutely do not. <laughs> so he goes off on this whole thing about how, like, he's the pro- he's secretly a prophet, but nobody ever asks him what the future is. Because nobody wants to know. Yeah, nobody wants to know. And he's like, what's wrong with you people? I can tell you, you don't want to know. Also, Kuzman's... nobody believes that there is a future anymore. Well, yeah, that too. In fact, that's that's a main thing of our Santa Claus guy. Right. Later on. But Kuzman's like, okay, fine. First, what's my mother's name? Then he gets it wrong. But he's like, well, I can tell the or future, not the past. He does get it wrong the first time because he gets it right the second time. Right, but that that's the point. Like, does he get it wrong or is he messing with him? Oh. I, I don't know that he necessarily gets it wrong. I think he just chooses a name out of a hat because it's like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. He's, he's just messing with him at this point. But oh, obviously, sure. he he's... It's not a it's it's not like he has this perfect gift of prophecy where he can pull any answer from anywhere. He can come up with it, but he's not going to come up with it through some direct route where someone asks him a question. He can give them the answer because it's mysterious, wooey, woo bullshit, just like yeah. religion. There's no real uh, logic to any of it. And if uh, any of that stuff exists, it's not really uh, knowable. Uh, and uh him doing uh, this this shtick it's just like well i mean you know i i can definitely tell you stuff i know all of these things i i know an excess of things that come out of a- every experience i have with the person but uh nobody's interested so they're just overflowing from me and i am a weird dude as a result of it <laughs> please just ask me and they, they do this back and forth thing where it's like okay well what am i going to do tomorrow but the prophet wants to know about him, so he wants to know who shot him and why. And as we do this back and forth thing, we learn the story about fucking the painting, which we've right. already gone over. But we also learn what Kuzman's supposed to do in order to die. Uh, right. He, he tells him what he's got to do. Yeah, or he tells him where to find out what he's got to do. Rather. Oh, yeah. This this uh, cool uh, heist that he's basically going to have to perform. He's, he's got to get this scroll. Yeah, he, he's got to go to the glass city and fight the man who plays the rifle like a flute. Uh, and then he'll go after he kills that man, the green haired man, who is he is the Joker. He's the <laughs> like Joker, he's yes. Jared Leto's Joker before like 15 years before Jared Leto was the Joker. Yeah, we no longer live in a society. Uh, <laughs> he's post-apocalyptic Joker. He just plays his rifle as a flute and kills people. He's yeah. not that intimidating. I mean, not ultimately, yeah, like the way in which he is defeated suggests that he was not that fearsome of an opponent to begin with. Yeah, 
Um, and be, and past him is the Wall of Fate, which, uh, <laughs> uh, oh man, I've got some words to say about that. Uh, and, and on the Wall of Fate is going to be written what he has to do in order to die. Right. Uh, the, and we see the Wall of Fate in the third sequence as well, right? Yes. Yes, yeah. we do. Yes, we do. Oh, yes. And that didn't uh, really tie it together for me, ultimately, even though it sort of did. And I get that, like, those are where, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> we'll get there's, to it. There's a lot going on. Yeah. It ties it together a little bit, but not enough. No. Uh, like, I, I thought that there was a whole third act that they just decided not to do. And I, it felt like there should be a third act that ties it together, but there isn't. All of this is sounding a lot like Men in Black 3, where they started <laughs> writing a script. and they, they they started making the movie with only a third of the script written. <laughs> and they got to, like, the third one's like, oh, I mean, I guess we've got to write an ending, don't we? Yeah. yeah. It, this has that feeling to it. I, I do think it was intentionally made this way, though. I yes. don't think it was accidental like that. No, this definitely feels like it is an art film to a degree. It's just also really edgy, and <laughs> it's it's got uh, a particular 90s edgy flavor to it that feels at odds with art cinema. Oh, yeah. Well, when he gets – we after his scene with the prophet, he, we cut to him uh, having already – having already done the training montage off screen. He's got his gear. He's got – who knows where he got it, but he looks like uh, the Green Power Ranger. <laughs> and he goes to the city and uh, he gets to that like political singing thing that I mentioned earlier with the guy talking about the emperor who hates children. Right. And he doesn't even react to it. So he doesn't piece together that this might be what happened to the kids. Yeah, I, I mean, it could totally be. I I definitely don't get any impression that it is as some sort of retribution for what he did, because it doesn't really make much sense. Why would it happen to some random children? Yeah, it could just it could even just be like, oh, they got a disease like an apocalypse disease. Yeah, <laughs> it fucking happens. They they are living in the wreckage of humanity. I mean, I, I feel like people will be dying off randomly. Yeah, like the, the child mortality rates got to be pretty high already. The, the just general mortality rate. People be dying. And the, obviously life is cheap. Like when the guy shoots one of his other dudes and nobody even cares. Like not a single person is bothered by it. It's just like, well, these kids have died and uh, you did that thing with the painting, which was weird. So eh, maybe we'll uh, do that. And maybe that sets things right. We're, we're just throwing shit at, a, at the wall right now. <laughs> yep. He goes through this abandoned building with with a uh, opera, like a gothic opera singer, uh, just singing to nobody. Mm. And want, he wanders around her for a bit before finally getting to the um, arena where he fights the green-haired man, who is he's roller derby Joker. We have seen him like it, when he was first talked about when they mentioned like the man who plays the gun like a flute. We have seen him previously kill just some random other person just to sort of establish that he can do it. Oh, okay. right. I, didn't I, we? I don't think so. Oh, uh, or at least I didn't write it down. I don't know. I thought we had some brief introduction with him where he seemed like he could actually do something uh, mm. before he really does nothing. He does nothing 
he plays the flute like his rifle like a flute he's got like the little holes drilled into it uh he doesn't even use the rifle in the fight he uses these double pistols and you get no sense of scale the way this fight is shot because it looks like they're only about five feet away from each other but then he keeps like going down all these ramps and like down these ladders and down this stuff and by the time he actually gets to that level he you realize he must have been like a hundred feet above him when he started and just he's missing and missing and he's not ever getting close to hitting him and uh kuzman's not even like he's not even trying to dodge bullets he's just of course slowly not, he's immortal well doesn't yeah, matter but, yeah true good point good point good point he's just slowly leisurely like with a sick of this shit expression on his face getting his rifle together and then the Joker like gets to point blank range and he pulls out these two water pistols. That's when he gets got. He he gets, uh, but he doesn't get shot. It's like a slime bullet. It covers his. I don't know what the hell happens here. It's like it shoots him with jelly that he licks and then dies. I don't know. He, he gets slimed. <laughs> he gets slimed and he dies and it makes all these cartoon sound effects. And that's the end of the great challenge that he's got to face. So, yeah, he gets down to the Wall of Fate, which it turns out, uh, we're going to find out in the third act, is just some crazy dude's uh, room full of crazy. Like well, his, uh, Yeah, I don't get it. So it's, it, we, we see people building it in the past. We, we see people, like, working on it. But... It, it, I, I, we don't again we don't get a sense of the scale of this thing but like i don't really know how much information is supposed to be available on it or how people are supposed to find it like it's it's not a library there's no dewey decimal system <laughs> no and he stumbles across his name pretty quickly and how i mean like was, was there only a few people who are expected to come here i mean i guess it's a miracle uh but it's i have a weird. theory okay which I don't know if I want to do it now or when we get... Yeah, let's do it now. Let's do it now. So the movie ends with uh, the Santa Claus in the third, second act having killed the family that we're going to be introduced to and then going into this basement and just writing on the walls. Now, I think this is his uh, no TV and no beer make Homer something something moment. Where well, he's it just... seems something along those lines. It's just him... The, it's the ravings of a lunatic uh, all over the walls, but... They're specific to this guy and maybe everybody. They're specific to this guy because Santa learned the name of a kid named Kuzman, who may be this guy as a young person or maybe some completely unrelated That is something I was wondering about if that was supposed to be him, because it sort of fits in terms of the time frame, because this is supposed to be New Year's 1999 when he meets the kid which would put him in his like mid twenties, which seems probably about right for Guzman in 2019. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that is supposed to be him as a kid. It's just weird. <laughs> so this wall, it's such an innocuous meeting that they have. It really is. This wall isn't the fate of everybody. Uh, or it's not even really anybody's fate. It's just this crazy guy's psychotic ramblings. Uh, because what we're going to find out... Well, he's nuts. Uh, he, he, he had he a weird nuts. night. He had a weird fucking 1999 New Year's. Yeah, and he may not have been all there to begin with. 
So when Kuzman reads what his fate is, he throws up. He's like, oh, mother. Oh, God. Uh, he's he's shaken by it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what it is. So him enacting his fate is the worst sex, the most uncomfortable sex scene I've ever seen. The most repulsive. I hate it. I mean, I've seen lots of really gross sex scenes. It didn't register that much with me, quite honestly. It's the sound effects that did it for me. That made gross. it just they're they're gross. So he's seemingly he's recovering from all his bullet wounds in this bathtub. He like went back home to his I thought well, we're gonna find out who she is. Uh, a woman. And he's like watching TV while she's pouring this is part of the lol random thing. She's pouring apples into this boiling hot bathtub that he's in. Yeah. Get a and little apple soak. I don't know. Yeah. Apple bath. I don't know. And he's like, I'm sorry, but this is what's written for me. And she takes off her clothes and they, they fuck in the bathtub. It's not sexy. It's, it's meant like, it's not meant to be sexy. We later find out that that's his sister. Right. And then that's sort of that weird Middle sequence is another incest marriage. Yeah. The it's it's a video <laughs> like a, a the first filmed wedding ceremony in 1900. Well, <laughs> uh, the not just that the first filmed crime and punishment too. Right. Because th- then they realize that they're brother and sister. Well, they always knew, but. Well, the way the narrator tells it, it sounds like they always knew, but they were just really grossed out about it. And eventually they just had enough of the shit and shot the guy. Mm. And we see that the person who made that film, this little five minute short, is the barber from the previous from the previous scene. From the future. From the future. Yes. From 119 years in the future. Either he's immortal like Kuzman and like really old. Or he's a time traveler. Uh, 50-50. Both. I mean, he's... I don't know. He's weird. He's a supernatural (laughs) figure. And and I feel like everybody is in this. I mean, Santa Claus... I I don't know if he's... uh, Not necessarily just dressed as Santa Claus. He is Santa Claus. Why not? Sure, okay. Just Santa Claus. (laughs) Yeah, you know what? I'll take it. I believe in the credits, he just is Santa Claus, is he not? <laughs> uh, I'm not sure. Something like that. Um, yeah, so now we flash back to New Year's Eve 1999, uh, where we see Santa Claus talking to a shitty little kid whose name Santa is Claus is Santa Claus is coming to town. He, he, he walks to town into and town, and there's, yep. yeah, there's a kid who doesn't believe in him. It's like, what do you mean you don't believe in me, you jerk? Yeah, the kid's kid's just being an asshole. He's like, fuck you, Santa. And it's like, oh, you kids not believing in Santa Claus. Well, let me tell you something. And, you know, he just goes off on a rant. Yeah, you know. Yeah, as you do. Uh, But then he goes into this. um, Here's where I feel like it gets really weird. Like, because the future was already weird. The funeral room. The way to like. Yeah, the wake, like painted all white, uh, white sheets covering everything. It's very and... strange. It's sort of uh, also a wake for the 20th century, in a sense, because, uh, you know, it's it's 
New Year's 1999. It's about to be the year 2000. This is goodbye 20th century. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's also just uh, th- this is just a very weird metaphorical sequence, and uh, you do need to sort of view it metaphorically more than as a physical happenstance. I think because it's just weirdness. Like it, it's it is really weird. It, he's supposed to be a guy who lives in this house. He's a boarder yeah. in the house, but the head of the family has died, and they're holding the wake for him, and. Just the whole family is there, and it's super fucking awkward. This guy comes in, and you know he's still ready to party. It's New Year's. Yeah, he's like, "Oh, what's what's the matter? Did someone die?" And they're like, "Actually, yes, my brother. Isn't it obvious?" Like, yeah. Oh, oh and like, well, oh yeah, I guess it is pretty obvious now that oh, I look man. around the room. God have mercy on him and all that. Uh, I'm gonna go into my room now. He's like, "No, actually, you can't. We're preparing the body there." Yeah, that's your his corpse is in your bed right now. We're we're going to need you to hang with the family and be a mourner. They're like, oh, wonderful. Yeah, yeah. Look, we've, we've got some wheat germ. <laughs> yeah. Um, a huge pile of it. With uh, with white, like, powdered sugar on top. This is important. <laughs> Only a little bit uh, at this point. At this point, yeah. Uh, which he just mows down on. I don't He's know. He's into. It doesn't <laughs> look tasty to me, but he seems to be really into it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and of course the guy is like, uh, like looking at him like, dude, it, it's awkward. Yeah, <laughs> this whole sequence is just it's it it becomes a cringe comedy for the last twenty minutes of the movie. <laughs> yep, yeah, like he pulls Santa aside. He's like, okay, so when are you gonna have the rent? Oh, uh, yeah. you'll have it. I know I'm gonna have it, but when am I gonna have it? You see, we need the money. Uh, to... We need the money, though. Yeah, it's like, well, you know, my 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 brother who's dead now. I mean, I guess he maybe would have gone easy on you, but you know. we need the money. Yeah, so great, great, and then you know he's he's got to hang out there for a bit. The those two people show up who are on a lot of coke. Who yeah, are the these coke... people? Uh, are I they like it's like a distant relative because they call okay. Peter Godfather. That's funny. so. I don't think they're even like. I don't think they're immediate family even. It seems weird. Yeah, it just seems weird that they would show up to this thing on New Year's when they're intent on having a coke party. I mean, they continue to have their coke party. What is the song well, they're playing? Oh yeah, it's Sid Vicious's version of My Way. Yeah, yeah. But before they show up, we we've got more awkward morning and then just. Granny rips the fucking <laughs> world <laughs> the ending biggest fart. fucking fart. Yeah, it's it's what triggers the apocalypse, I would have to assume. It just <laughs> it it ruins the whole party, it ruins the whole night, it ruins the whole world. <laughs> like it just keeps going and it like it pushes her wheelchair forward into the tree. Oh, the yeah. children like she... throw fireworks at her she rockets into the tree it falls down the children all just like start rioting like it's very strange the energy of this last sequence because there's this obvious chaotic energy that's trying to get out around the formality of this wake where just nobody seems all that broke up about this guy being dead except no one yeah sorry yeah except for our one guy right 
everybody else is like, we're here because we kind of have to be here. And this is sort of the way uh, th- this is the formalities that we have for it. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, after the farting and they slow, they like in fast motion set it, reset everything back up for more yeah. awkward sitting. Uh, that's when the coke head and the coke girl show up. Right. And they and, accidentally spill the coke all over the wheat germ. Yes. So they get really into the wheat germ. They get really into the wheat germ, and everybody gets into it, and it so the just coke goes party. fucking insane. And yeah, it's like, I did it my way. The, the great Sid Vicious version, the only great thing Sid Vicious ever did was his cover <laughs> of, my, of Frank Sinatra's My Way. It is pretty great, honestly. It's awesome. It's totally great. Uh, Peter, the landlord, um, sneaks into the room with the corpse because that's a better place to be than out there. It's the only place that's quiet. Yep. And uh, the person preparing the corpse is our friend, the time-traveling immortal barber. Right, which I guess was sort of the idea uh, with him. This is why I feel like he was sort of potentially with the group is that uh, one of the historical purposes of a barber is to prepare a body for death. Like a barber is like in a lot of the old West movies we've watched. The barber is the guy who works with the undertaker. Yeah, I forgot about that. You're right. That's a good point. He so he may have been traveling with them. Yeah. Uh, So, yeah, here he is preparing the body and it it sort of makes sense. It's just it's weird that he exists in all of these different timelines. All of these people seem to. Well, or variations of them, because, like, again, we have the brother sister couple both in 1900 and 2019. Yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't I didn't get a good enough look at anybody's faces and I the credits are all in like the font that I can't read. So yeah. I, I couldn't tell if any of them were the same actors. Yeah, I'm not sure. It's possible, but it's hard to say. But yeah, he's he's there. It's like. And the barber's like, uh, hey, watch out for the fire. He's like, uh, fire? What now? And he, he opens the door to go back to the party and this one dude's just sitting there with his hand on fire like. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like he, a hand of glory. Yeah. It's like his own hand, which is weird. But yeah, it's it's becoming total chaos. Like he steps out of the room for one moment and it's like uh, th- that scene in The Simpsons where they clean the whole house. He's like, okay, just don't let anything go dirty. And in the swing of the door, it, it, <laughs> <laughs> see it or, filthy. Or, or like that famous community meme where Troy comes back with the pizza and everything's right. on fire. Yeah. Uh, he He's seeing the alternate timeline develop just outside the door and like, oh, shit, things are really picking up out here. Yeah, and he, of course, he has to go on his rant, like, how could none of you respect my brother? I know you didn't like him in life, but at least respect his death. You are all animals. What is wrong with you people? And Santa, who had fallen on the floor in the chaos because he was riding piggyback on the mother for some reason, yeah, uh, gets up. He's like, he's absolutely right. And also, there is... Time is a flat circle, and he starts going off on his own unrelated rant, and then everyone just starts kicking the shit out of him. Oh yeah, he's not family. Well, who's he to uh, get yeah. in the middle of this? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like they're all taking turns, and like the children who only communicate in belches. Right. Um, all the old people are getting in on it, 
uh, everyone's coked up on this wheat germ cocaine. Right, yeah. Th- that is probably fairly key. <laughs> and we cut forward in unknown amount of time later uh santa is in the room he's covered in blood he's taken off his uh costume he's murdered everyone yep and mother our granny in her wheelchair is right next to the corpse she with a terrified expression on her face because santa like shoots her in the head uh like like it's this whole slow thing but he shoots her in the head and it's gross and his brain guts all over the place yeah, it's it's the poster. Yeah. <laughs> I, I sent you that that classic poster, the one with Santa firing a bullet into just below uh, the viewer. Oh, yeah. A very comic book Santa, like a 90s indie comic book Santa. So, yeah, and... fa- Santa has annihilated the family and then he's going to set about writing his memoirs. Yeah, which apparently involves... Kuzman incest fan fiction. Supposedly. I mean, I don't know. He's spent a lot of time, uh, I guess, just uh, figuring stuff out after he murdered everyone. And maybe the apocalypse happened. Oh, yeah. Um, Also important to note, he's killed the granny right at like 1159.59. So we Mm. saw the first crime of the 20th century, which is which the barber was there for the incest thing. Right. Uh, and then the last crime of the 20th century, which is this, which also the barber was there for. Of course, because he's he is eternal. His brow is eternal. It, uh, <laughs> it's the source of his strength. Transcends space and time. <laughs> and yeah, that's yeah. Then that's he writes it. the things, and he then, then the thing. and that, presumably uh, that's what Kuzman learns about. But I, I don't know if it's supposed to actually be for this guy. Uh, as an adult, or if it's meant to just like be dunking on him as a kid when he saw him earlier that evening, it doesn't seem like it's a whole lot later because he's still kind of in his quasi Santa outfit when he yeah, starts no, writing his stuff. Yeah, it's that night that he writes it, I figure. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Oh, and, and Peter survives, and Santa instructs him to build a boat. Very, very Noah's right. Ark. Yeah, uh, totally. The which is why I say that thing from the start is the. Uh, uh, the the Noah's Ark that that that's from before the flood. Right, right. I, I'm sure I would know that if I knew the Bible at all, but I don't. Not super familiar with it. I've read an amount of it, you know. Yeah, I've read chapters here and there. You, you can't avoid it. Um, no. Yeah. So there's no third act that ties it all together. You just got to figure out what happened, and I kind of I kind of dig that. It's weird. It's definitely very abstract. It's just throwing a whole lot of weird things at you. It's edgy. It's sure edgy. Like like yeah. you said when I mentioned it, the 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 forchaniness of it to you. It's the the setup is like a green text story. Yeah, like especially the way he tells the story about how he fucked the painting. Yeah, and then like you just see, and the way the barber steps away and looks at the camera just looks like somebody like posted right below that like is op saying that he fucked a painting op saying that he fucked a painting yeah like yeah get a lot of this guy it's 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 very strange it's quite a thing there's really nothing else like it and that that is something that i'll always recommend with a movie it's just woo this one it it flies its own flag it's there's really a strange vibe to it i don't know a whole lot of other macedonian cinema 
just that uh oh yeah i never did look up the title of that one. Oh yeah i'm gonna look that up hang on please continue yeah um <laughs> at first i was like oh my god this is brilliant satire but on a second viewing i was like this might actually be trash in a satire costume i don't i don't know I it's don't hard know to if- say I don't know if this is a good movie or a bad movie. I don't know if the movie agrees with its own message. <laughs> See, I don't think there is such a thing as a good movie or a bad movie. So I, well, I'm just interested right. in it as a weird object. Uh, the, the other movie that I've seen is uh, another one from the 90s called Before the Rain, which is a thing about uh, you know a, a potential revolution starting. I recall it being pretty good. Oh, cool, cool. Very different from this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, this one is very much a figure out what we're saying yourself movie. Yeah, it's it's pretty interesting. And like, it's also noteworthy that, of course, this is a really war-torn region, Macedonia. You know, it's, it's right in the middle of the Balkans. It was a rough 20th century for the Balkans. So. Uh, yeah, you can see, yeah. That's the true. violence of that, I think, heavily informs the way this movie approaches the millennium, the end of the 20th century, and just also religion and violence and the violence of religion, uh, the way those things are intertwined in formalities. I think all of that's there, but it is really hard to say how all of those things are meant to fit together or if they are meant to fit together. Yeah, like on a on a first viewing, it's not even clear it's not clear really at all how the two parts link together other it's than, Hey, this guy's in both. Yeah. It's not clear what is happening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What's metaphorical and what's real. <laughs> I, I, I kind of love it though. Uh, yeah. It's I'd very love... interesting. Like it, it is something that is totally worth seeing because there is nothing else like it. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So do you have any last thoughts on goodbye 20th century before we move on to our third and final section yes i do goodbye goodbye 20th century (laughs) all right and we're back for our third and final section where we're talking about the other movies we've watched on physical media in the past couple weeks or past week just the past week and deciding what we're going to cover next week so I watched uh, I watched a movie on my own. Yes. It doesn't happen often. Uh, but we you talked about it a couple weeks ago. Colt, and we talked about another one in that box, uh, Colt 38 Special Squad from the, what is it, the Days of Lead or? Years of, of Lead. Lead. The Arrow Years of Lead Poliziotesky box from which we covered Highway Racer last week. So it, it's kind of, no, it's not Highway Racer on motorbikes. It's like its own, uh, it's like a violent cop drama with some car chases in it. It's almost like a spy movie. You've got kind of a supervillain character, our mad bomber supervillain who kills the lead cop's son and wife in the opening sequence. It's wild. (laughs) Like it's much more cartoony than highway racer. Uh, It's a much more difficult story to follow too, because there are way more characters. Uh, I think it was, I think you described it as a, feeling like a whole season of a police tv show yeah it really feels like it's a whole show compressed into 100 minutes uh there's just so much stuff going on you have all of these 
wacky criminal side characters like that the the guy who the the inventor guy or whatever who they they give the bomb and they blow him up while he's peeing on a tree <laughs> oh right um the the one who's like well i definitely love you but i don't want to be used as part of your mad bomber scheme <laughs> okay well just yeah. go and put this random package in a, into a random locker for reasons not related to bombing Oh, sure. Why not? me to put a bomb. I'm so shocked. Yeah. Uh, again, much like uh, and, and I'd say it's sort of endemic to the whole Poliziotesky genre. It doesn't have a lot of respect for women or female characters have very little agency or very little to do. Uh, it's yeah. it's often described as a very misogynist genre. I Which can see that. Kinda, it's there. Like, I mean, usually they don't exist. It's, it's yeah. straight up just it is a male dominated genre. And it's a it is a genre about not, not necessarily about men being great. A lot of it's about men being really shitty. It's just it's a men genre. It's weird. Mm-hmm. So I, I think Highway Racer is the better movie. But this one has some crazy moments. It definitely has a higher degree of really crazy shit, so they sort of almost come to about one-to-one for me. But yeah, I agree Highway Racer is definitely a better put-together film. Mm-hmm. But we get some great uh, dummy explosions. So much great dummy carnage. Like the that market <laughs> getting blown up. Or the dude getting his hands oh, crushed yeah. in the car door. His like, plasticine hand and just goes <laughs> all destroyed. Awesome. So good. And how the actual special squad, uh, the three guys, they're just triplets. They don't. They they have no personality. They're Huey, Dewey, and Louie. Although I think they might have more individuality. Yeah, probably. I feel, yeah, I I don't know. I'm not familiar with any of the modern interpretations, but I think so. Yeah, I I could see a modern interpretation given them their distinct personalities. I haven't seen the new DuckTales. No, neither have I. I, I, I hear, hear it's, it's really good. Yeah. So, I mean, if they were three identical characters, I feel like that wouldn't fly in 2023. But I don't know. Probably not. Well, who knows? Who knows? And ducks can fly. Ducks can fly. <laughs> so we have 14 picks from the, the watch stacks this week. I was busy. Oh, boy. Oh, wow. There's some stuff here that I know. Yeah, there should be a couple that you recognize. Yeah. Oh, about I'd say about half of them is stuff that I'm at least that I at least know about. Nice. So first up is Brian De Palma's Snake Eyes. Do you know this one? I feel like I should. Is this Nicolas Cage? That is a Nicolas Cage film. I saw this one opening day in theaters when it came out back in 1998. I think it was 98, maybe 99. 98. Uh, 98, it says. Yeah, I was there opening day. I loved it. This is the first time I've seen it since then. You know, it's still pretty good. <laughs> it's De Palma. It's very Hitchcock inspired. It's him doing it's like this one. It's him pulling from blockbuster Hitchcock. There's a lot of rope in there. A lot okay. of really long takes. The first shot of this movie, 13 minutes long. All right. All right. And you may remember that. Or I guess I don't know if we really got into it, but at that point in time, I believe the thing was the reels of film or the the old cameras that they had in rope uh, could only go for a span of 13 minutes. 
So I think he intentionally did it for the length of as long as they were able to do one in rope. But it's way more complex because it's Nicolas Cage going into a full arena for a boxing match during a hurricane in Florida. As you do. And it's just him meeting all of these people, going through this stadium, thousands of cheering people. And then there is a political assassination next to him. All one shot. Okay, okay, cool. This huge 13-minute setup where he meets with all of these different people, and you meet all of these different people who are suspicious. Uh, Gary Sinise is his guy who's a tie with the military, who's his old buddy, but who's really suspicious. All right. And yeah, it's just him trying to unravel this conspiracy. Uh, Nicolas Cage is just this sleazeball uh, kind of corrupt cop. He's like a, a more family-friendly version of the guy he plays in Portocol, New Orleans. Does he get any iconic Cage moments or freakouts? Uh, there's some interesting stuff. Uh, I'm I'm trying to think of any like particular ones. The thing I was really dazzled by the most was kind of camera work in this one. It's just got really crazy shots where that are just really really showy. There's one extended POV sequence where it goes all the way up to a ca- to a mirror, and you just see the boxer shadow boxing his reflection in the mirror and then the camera just moves away to the side and like stops being pov like it's a ghost that's moved out of it it's like how the hell did they do that it looks incredible (laughs) interesting okay i mean it's very showy uh it's really that opening sequence is never really beat but you know you get nicholas cage doing a 90s late 90s peak nick cage type performance so yeah, you can't really go too far wrong. Yeah, all right. Um, I I do love Nick. I mean, I'll never be able to see Nick Cage's entire filmography. There's just too much. But I do love seeing a new one. He's a busy man. <laughs> he is a busy man. Next up, we've got The Devonsville Terror. It's a really interesting movie. It's 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 a feminist horror movie. It's sort of uh, it's it's. It's got this opening sequence that's set during like witch trials where, you know, it's it's showing the way men abused women and sort of uh, used the whole witchery thing as as a way to get rid of inconvenient women or uh, punish women for rejecting sexual advances and things like that. Pretty uh, direct and clear about what it's about, you know, Uh and it flashes to the present day and you have this small town it's the same small town where all this shit happened and these the descendants of these people all still live here and there's this new teacher who comes to town and she's got progressive ideas uh-oh and you know people start you know it's it's like around 200 years later and thinking like well maybe the curse has come back maybe these ladies are witches with their progressive ideas because there's a couple other ladies around town who are progressive and you know things go the way you expect they would go uh, right. it has some Donald Pleasance doing past life regression therapy, which is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so, so this isn't the one where he got beamed? No, this is a different one. Yes. Ooh. He's in a couple movies I watched this week. <laughs> I love Donald Pleasance too. He's so good. This one, like he is not in nearly enough. He has, I think just two scenes, unfortunately, and they're both spectacular. It is him full mad scientist mode he's one of the descendants but he has like fully renounced it he really 
uh, hates all of the things that uh, his ancestors did. And he's doing this past life regression to talk to the other people who are the descendants and having them uh, relive the past and stuff and also dealing with their anger issues with women and stuff. Okay. So weird. <laughs> and you have all that stuff and then like, yeah, there's, it comes to a head and uh, there's a bunch of brutal, horrible acts. And then at the very end, you get like 30 seconds of retribution. I sent you a clip of the 30 seconds of retribution. They're awesome but it's not enough for all the brutality that you go through to get there. It's just, it it has stuff that I really like, but it just wish there's just a little bit more of both the retribution and the Donald Pleasance. Okay. But it's very good. It's just, it's bleak uh, beyond those things. Gotcha. Next is for the plasma. This, uh, how do I describe this? I really related to this movie in a weird sort of way. Okay. It's a, it's sort of a movie about going crazy, working from home, just like looking at getting so much data and just being isolated in this one space, but that you're pulling in all this data from outside and from these uh, questionable sources and things that are maybe... Uh, you you got to judge from the singular perspective that you have. Her thing is she's a fire spotter. Okay. So there's all these cameras set up in woods around Maine where she is, but she's not actually tending to any of the cameras or anything. She just watches the footage and makes sure that, you know, there's no fires anywhere. Sounds like an easy and boring job. Right. And she just sits there looking at it and looking at it and looking at it. And she starts to realize that she can make predictions about larger forces. Like as she it becomes this sort of Zen exercise where she looks at the newspaper and she's able to get a bunch of keywords from the newspaper and understand everything that's sort of going on right now in financial markets and in politics. And then she sort of watches this stuff and this low res camera footage of forestry and trees that you like is that a fire or is that just sunlight i don't know and she uh, ultimately is able to predict the future through this like she's able to see what is going to happen and so she's got this whole international conglomerate who are like funding her to give them predictions and so she's getting this old friend who's in town to uh be her assistant and go on some treks out to the cameras to find out more information for her. Okay. Well, this it sounds like it kind of uh, goes a little out of control. It's very mellow. It's incredibly oh. low key all the time. It's very mumble core. Uh, it's strange. It's just a weird experience. I it, like, I really vibed with it, but I don't know. <laughs> all right. Very pastel. Uh, I, I think just it's it's sort of a, a witchcraft movie, but like feminine intuition witchcraft kind of thing, and just uh, the 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 power of that, and uh, the the weirdness of technology and the isolation of working from home, all of these things. Okay. Next up, we've got Doctor No. Have you ever seen Doctor No? One million dollars. <laughs> I, I have seen Doctor No. Yes, I've seen most not most maybe about two thirds to three quarters of all the james bond movies 
Nice, nice. I mean, I've seen all of them many times. I love them a great deal. Some are definitely more entertaining. Some are oh, definitely yeah. better than others. Some of them are real bad. <laughs> <laughs> They're, not all Bond is created equal. But this one's great. Uh, this one's one of the best. Uh, it's you know it's the first. It has the totally iconic introduction to Connery, the just mm-hmm. the Bond, James Bond. And what what often is lost in people's repetition of that is he's mocking someone when he does that. <laughs> oh, because <laughs> someone else has just introduced themselves the same way, and they say like, "Oh, you and and you, Mister uh, Bond, James Bond." He's he's doing the exact same inflection that she had when she introduced herself. It's not him do it because like everyone kind of does the Bond James Bond thing. It's like, yeah, he's he's responding to someone else that way. Interesting, because that became it, that's became a catchphrase. Yeah, it's weird. Uh. And, you know, Dr. No, cool supervillain character. I love oh. the whole concept of Spectre. I love the fucking underwater lair. Yeah. That's like, the one like million one the, dollars thing. Yeah, <laughs> one of the, like, OG supervillains. Yeah. Maybe. Legit. Yeah. Like maybe the first. He could, well, no, there's Dr. Mabusa back in the 30s. But in terms of, like, the modern supervillain in, like, uh, not made-for-children movies, I do think Dr. No kind of is extremely influential. Oh, definitely influential, no doubt about it. I think, like, I think he sort of create he he allows space for the comic book style supervillain within uh, mainstream adult cinema. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great movie. You know, I love it. Yeah, you showed me a clip of uh, him berating a henchman who failed the last for the last time, like just yeah. a big empty room with the chair, and it's so like cool. sit down in the uncomfortable chair while a loudspeaker shouts at you. I'm like. Yeah. That's cool. And then he's like, now look over on that table. There's a spider I want you to put on Bond. <laughs> that's a thing that I really love in this movie as well, is that Sean Connery is not doing any stunts, and he's he doesn't care who knows it. He isn't going <laughs> to just be in a green screen. Or, you know, the, no spiders going to be crawling on him. No. Ew. Ew, spiders. So there's, <laughs> it's very clear on the Blu-ray you see uh, there's a pane of glass between him and the spider. <laughs> it like hovers over his shoulder. It's great. Yeah, that's funny. Next up, another one that you've probably seen, Top Gun. Danger Zone! I have not seen Top Gun. Really? You've never seen Top Gun? I've seen it many times despite not liking it very much. <laughs> it's kind of a bad movie. Oh. It's. It feels like the 40s version of... Uh, I'm sorry, the 80s version of a 40s propaganda movie. It's just like it's straight up an Air Force recruitment film. (laughs) And it is like it it 100 percent is. It was used that way. It was extremely successful. Oh, I bet Um, everybody. Well, yeah, in this era, like airplane Air Force movies became huge because of this movie for a while. Completely. And the thing is. You know, people talk about it being very queer, and it is. It's extremely queer. It's queerer than you think. If you haven't seen it, it's it's really there. It gets okay. just constantly there. But it's just, I don't know how much of it's intentional, and I don't know how much of it is uh, just sort of happenstance of it being the 80s and it being packed with that maximal 80s aesthetic, because it is. Like the the cinematography in this is crazy. It's so beautiful looking all the time. 
It's really hyperkinetic. You a lot of real footage of actual fighter jets in action because cool. they had the full cooperation of the Air Force. Right, because this was going to get them a shitload of recruits. <laughs> yeah, but it's so obvious. I mean, there's a character who's named Goose. <laughs> now, what yeah. do you think happens with Goose? <laughs> right? uh, I'm guessing he dies. This Goose is cooked. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I guess part of the problem, and maybe it's that I saw Hot Shots before I saw Top Gun. Mm. And Hot Shots is the one that kind of really set the template for me. You know Hot Shots? Have you ever seen Hot Shots? I have seen... I've seen at least one Hot Shots movie. I saw one where they drop a bomb into Saddam Hussein's lap while he's chilling at a swimming pool. I think that might be two. I I did rewatch them a couple years ago. I've seen both of them a bunch. They kind of rule on it. They're low-key great. Uh, <laughs> and that's the thing. A lot of those parody movies don't really hold up after the era that they're made in. Sometimes most of them are bad. I, I last time I watched Robin Hood Men in Tights, I recall it being full bad, just like oh. not good at all. I, I'm scared that'll happen with Spaceballs, so I haven't watched it recently. Uh, I can confirm that last time I watched Spaceballs, that's how I felt as well. But I've never been that big of a Spaceballs fan, and I'm not a big Star Wars fan, so I don't know. Could be I still me. Haven't, I still haven't seen the last Star Wars movie. I probably never will. I still haven't either. Next up, we've got The Satan Bug. That's a movie I've seen. <laughs> so, <laughs> from the same director as uh, Backlash, the western oh. we did a little while back. Oh, wow. Okay. This is him doing The Stand in 1965. Oh, neat. It's uh, they, they, There's this high-tech underground laboratory in... I, I think it's like in the desert or something. And they've created two different bugs. One of them is called Botulinus, I believe. <laughs> sure. And it's it's like it, it a drop of it will kill everything within like an eight kilometer radius or something. Just like raise everything all dead. Whereas... Uh, the the other one is the Satan bug. It kills everything in the world. <laughs> uh, oh. <laughs> and they've kind of just accidentally discovered this other one, and they're really conflicted about it. And then uh, one night something weird is happening with the security, and they're not sure what's going on, and they finally, you know, they they're the time locks are ready for the next morning. They're like, okay, we've, we looked at all the footage, and we saw... Our scientists leave, but he hasn't shown up this morning. We don't know what's going on with that. And uh, things just don't seem quite right here. And it's like, well, we think someone broke in. And if they took this stuff or if they broke something and it's open in there with the time lock, if we open up that door, uh, we may be in the world. So just checking, we could end the world. <laughs> oh, God. So it's like a literal Schrodinger, Schrodinger the cat. The Schrodinger's cat. Yeah, it's that sort of thing. But they, they sort of work it out and like, OK, now we can open up and we check it. And we're, the one guy is willing to gamble enough to sacrifice himself in case. And, you know, they, they do manage to open up and they find the dead body of the guy in there, the, the scientist that they thought left. Someone else escaped with uh, four bottles of all of the stuff. So they're, they've got uh, all of it and they're out to, like, maybe sell it, maybe hold the world hostage. Cool. Interesting. Pretty good. All right. 
Next up, another one that you've probably seen, Gremlins. It's in the movie. Uh, that's two, <laughs> but I have seen Gremlins. Ah, Gremlins is great. Great movie. Just like I... a fascinating thing about capitalism, a, a, a Christmas movie about a commercial entity that's extremely toxic and world ending. <laughs> I recall liking it quite a bit when I saw it. Uh, within the last five years, I think I saw it. It really holds up. I've watched it many times over the years. It's just, you know, it's a great movie. Cool. Next up, we've got Mind, Body, and Soul. This is not a good movie. <laughs> um, so I, I told you a bit about Rick Sloan last week when I described this one in the first place. Rick Sloan, his movies take place in Stupid World. Oh, right, yes. Uh, this is around the same time he was making the Vice Academy movies, which are like, if you were doing a Police Academy series for Late Night Cinemax, that is like extremely dumb. Like, you want to make it as stupid as possible. It's going to mostly star adult film stars, <laughs> mainly with the purpose of them taking their tops off. Why do you think I took you to those police academy movies? I didn't hear anybody <laughs> laughing. Did you? <laughs> I mean, as someone who literally watched every police academy movie, definitely by the end of them, I was not laughing even as a kid. Like, number eight is dire. Oh, they got up to eight? I saw all of them from one to six. I believe eight is Mission to Moscow. Uh, dreadful. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> Dubious. Extremely unfunny. Uh, but Mind, Body, and Soul, so it's like Rick Sloan was making these, This he was making Vice Academy 3 by this point. Okay. And it's him with some of the people who made those movies, Ginger Lynn, uh, who was uh, an adult film star. Mm -hmm. She's like the main character in this. And some, of the, some folks from that, and it's like, he kind of wants to do something serious. Now, this is the first time I've ever seen a Rick Sloan movie where he's pretending to be serious. And uh, I can't process it. It's weird. It's like, <laughs> nah, this is dumb. Where's the joke? <laughs> it's got a very strange tone to it. Um, so the, the thing is, it's this lady. She is a, a, she's on her 90th, 90 day anniversary with her boyfriend. He's like, oh, hey, I've got a thing to take us to. And they go to this strip mall where there's a <laughs> satanic ritual in the basement. <laughs> Oh no, it's Pizzagate all over again. Yeah, they're going to kill this lady. And she's like, are they going to kill that lady? And she freaks out and then, I don't know, cops raid the place. There's a whole part where you have the the big bad cult leader, the normad of the group, if you will. Okay. And he wears like a black body stocking mask and a hood and stuff. So you can't see his face and they use a distortion on his voice. So you can't identify his voice. Right. But he's so identifiable from the just the the cadence of his speech and <laughs> his body language. So so it's yeah. really clear who he is. Yeah. Yeah, it's really clear. <laughs> uh like not at that moment because you haven't met the character yet, but she gets out of she no, she goes to jail because they think she's part of the cult and the lady who is being sacrificed identifies her as someone the one of the people who was in the audience when she was gonna be sacrificed. <laughs> Which <laughs> she was. So uh 
this lawyer played by Wings Hauser and uh, some tough cop who uh, <laughs> they, both of them sort of latch onto her and just uh, are, are obsessed with the cult and her getting her statements on the cult and everything. Okay. But one of them might be sinister. Is it Wings? Is he sinister? I mean, it's so obviously him in the mask. Like, you can't... Like, it's so clearly him, like, like just the cadence of the way he speaks and the way he moves and his <laughs> his gestures. Like, I'm so familiar with them from seeing so many of his movies. It's like, how do they figure they were going to not think that's Wings? I mean, even if you put the distortion on his voice, I know that's him. <laughs> he has a way of talking. He's He's distinct. You don't cast your most distinct person and try to disguise them as a second person come on <laughs> like like trying to dis- get gilbert gottfried but then have a voice distortion <laughs> on him <laughs> yeah like oh. nobody else speaks like that come on uh next we've got consenting adults this i've heard of but not seen so the thing is they had the perfect marriage <laughs> did they now i don't know if they really did so much in this one this one it seems kind of weird uh they're in (laughs) debt and he's kind of kevin klein's character he's this tv composer who's in a lot of debt for some reason or another that he's kind of keeping some sort of secret i don't know maybe maybe the wife's aware of that part but he's also kind of there's a horniness to him that (laughs) i don't know sure uh New neighbors, sexy new neighbors, swinging Uh new neighbors come into town. And one of them is Kevin Spacey. Oh, no. With a blonde dye job. Oh, Uh, fuck me. And, like, he just latches on to uh, Kevin Klein right away. The two Kevins, they just, they start jogging. They become besties. He sort of insinuates himself in their life. And (laughs) I sent you the one clip that (laughs) really had me rolling where... He's told him how he's got this uh, huge debt, right? And uh, Kevin Spacey's thing, he's a loan adjuster or something. Like, he's a loan investigator or something like that? Uh Or, uh, not loan, uh, insurance. Insurance investigator. Okay. Because Kevin Spacey is evil. Yeah. And you you get a sequence where uh, it's... They they have a whole party, and he's started to really get to know him, and he's told him all this stuff, and they're, they're really hitting it off, and you see him at work doing uh, some of his TV composing and this really cheerful peppy TV theme plays uh, in studio. You see them playing it and then it cuts to him driving happily home with his wife. And then Kevin Spacey just plunges from the sky and lands on their car. (laughs) 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 It's like a perfect metaphor for the whole film that like, they're just going along having their everyday marriage Fucking Kevin Spacey falls from the sky, <laughs> destroys their vehicle. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's a sh- an insurance scam. You know, he he gets enough money from the insurance to pay off their debt. You know, it's it's him doing it, and like he wasn't actually hurt. It was a whole stunt that he had performed. And then he proposes sort. Of, it, this one's also very Hitchcock inspired. It's got a lot of Hitchcock homage. Okay. So it's doing a strangers on a train thing. Are you sort of familiar with the concept of it? I don't know. Not this one. I'm not. So strangers on a train. The It's these two guys meet on a train and they both sort of joke about killing each other's wives. And okay. so it, it and one of the guys ends up taking it seriously. 
mm. and then it, it becomes just this whole uh crazy thing this it's sort of like that but it's they they get to talking and he sees that uh kevin klein is really hot for his wife uh, i can't remember the name of the actress right now but uh he's like well i mean you know we, we could do a thing where we we switch in the middle of the night you know we, we just like change <laughs> beds and then we we can each have sex with each other's wives secretly in the night and they won't know oh <clears throat> no no <laughs> see that's not what consenting adults do uh, right exactly consenting adults so he he goes through with it and then the next day uh the, the kevin spacey's wife turns up dead <gasps> and he's framed for the crime because he just had sex with her the night before right <laughs> yeah so uh yeah it's it's wild. It's very strange for one of these. It's much more heightened and ridiculous. It gets really off the rails by the end. All right. Because uh, uh, Kevin Spacey usurps him in the family. The, uh, Kevin Klein goes to jail. Uh, he marries Kevin Klein's wife. <laughs> oh, so like the, the, the scheme actually works. Yeah, it, he pulls it off. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> for a time, at least. Uh, yeah. Next is the Rainbow Boys, which is not gay as you would think. Oh, <laughs> this is a Canadian movie. Oh, uh, it, it is uh, set in and around Lytton, BC. Have you ever been to Lytton? I'm sure I've been through there. It's a tiny town. Uh, I feel like I've been, yeah, it would have been a going through situation if yeah. I've been there at all, and I don't know if I have. Like northern BC mining country, basically, oh. like former mining country. Oh. No, I haven't been there. I know why I know what that's the place that uh, doesn't exist anymore because the fires or like oh, got really yeah. Lytton may have been one of those. Yeah. Yeah. They got they got really badly. Um, yeah. I mean, a lot of places like that were. Yeah. Yeah. That was just a couple of years ago that happened. Mm hmm. So, yeah, that, that could very well have been Lytton. But, yeah, it, this starts out in Lytton, B.C. It's Donald Pleasance. <laughs> oh, okay, so this is the one. <laughs> the one where he gets covered in beans. Uh, he, he, he's playing, like, a cranky old prospector. Who, okay. Uh, his dad was a miner back in the old days in uh, northern B.C. And uh, he has a claim somewhere. There's, like, his father's abandoned lost mine like that he still has the claim to and still has tons of gold just waiting for them to go pick it up. Like it, it's just waiting there under the floor. Right. Okay. But they don't know where it is. <laughs> and you know, they, they live a distance away. It's kind of a thing to do an expedition. He doesn't even have a car. Yeah. That'd be tough. Yeah. But then he's going through town and there's this weird dude. Who's just like a hippie who has a three seater motorbike. You know, like a motorbike with like a bench seat and sort of a oh, cargo area. Yeah, yeah, like like a tricycle type one, or it's sort of like a homemade kind of dealy where oh, it's okay. got like a motorcycle front and then just a big bench seat and just a whole bunch of uh, storage space for them to for him to like drive cross country and pick people up. I guess. Okay, interesting. All right. And he's just sort of a, you know, iconoclastic hippie dude, but like sort of the Canadian hoser version of it. And he's just, you know, really chill. And he sort of vibes with Donald Pleasance's weirdo energy. And he starts hanging out with him and his wife. 
and they decide to go find the abandoned mine and make the big gold strike. Cool. This is them, you know, wandering around BC on the <laughs> this three-seater motorcycle and stuff, and uh, Donald Pleasance being just a weird fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Next, we've got Revenge of the Virgins. This, the, this adult entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> this was written by Ed Wood. Oh. Uh, it's a nudie western. Oh, There's, my. This, it's, you can feel the Ed Woodiness to the dialogue, but it doesn't quite have the same charm. It's not directed by him. It doesn't quite have the same energy. Okay. You can see some of it there. Uh, <laughs> I just love the, the plan nine. Just stupid, 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 stupid. Your stupid minds. Uh, yeah, this has some of that, but not quite to the same degree, I guess. And it's there's a tribe of topless lady natives. <laughs> okay. I, I, don't, I don't know. And yep. they they protect. Uh, I think there's. Uh, I think it's another lost mine kind of deal there's there's a lost mine that they're protecting and this group of various disreputable people from the town white settlers all of them are like we're gonna get an expedition together we're gonna go get that stuff and they go into the wilderness and they're all trying to stab each other in the back but uh they don't have time to because they're picked off one by one by topless natives (laughs) arrows strange all right (laughs) cool not bad less than an hour uh and uh that's a double bill it's a it's the vinegar syndrome drive-in collection where they would just pair two weird movies together they're old uh so that's with teenage zombies uh some some kids uh there's there's this lady who has an island it's sort of, you know, it's an Island of Dr. Moreau thing, but she's got, it's it's like, it's pre-Romero zombies, so they're just voodoo zombies. Mm-hmm. So they're like all these people who are, she's controlling their minds through like a mad science type process. Oh, right. Yeah. Zombies yeah. were like, used to be a mind control thing, kind of. Yeah. And she's also got like an ape that she controls. It's really obviously a guy in a suit. Uh, and you know, there's some teenagers who you know, sail over to the island, find out what's going on, and you know, she's gonna make them into zombies. But one of them got away, and he's going to save them. Uh, he's oh. gonna go get the police and save them. Oh, uh, does it does it work for him? Uh, yeah, I mean, it works. It's the fifties. <laughs> oh, okay. It's it's kind of sleepy. This one doesn't have a, a whole lot of energy to it. To be fair. Mm, all right. Next, we've got Men in Black Three or Mib Cubed. <laughs> so the first one is like pretty pretty well liked, and the second is pretty universally hated, is my understanding. Uh, I have heard nothing about the third. Third one's not bad. It's decent. Okay, and that, that's the thing. It's it's fine. It, it kind of goes back to its roots. Will's funny again. He's not the swaggering dickhead character that they decided to make him for some reason in the second one, where he just becomes uh, his character from Bad Boys 2 slash becomes <laughs> Will Smith. 
yeah, becomes IRL Will Smith. Yeah, he's he's funny again in this. He's he's enjoyable. He's sort of doing the same characterization that he was doing in that one. It's good. Tommy okay. Lee Jones, effortless, sleepwalking through it, but he's still funny as hell. Uh, <laughs> you know, doing his stone face shit. He's not in a lot of it. He was pretty done with it. <laughs> well, uh, I don't blame him. So he's only in like the opening sequence because someone goes back in time and murders him. And Will Smith has to go back to 1969 and stop the murder from taking place. And young him isn't played by Tommy Lee Jones. He's played by Josh Brolin. Oh, okay. Okay. So it's uh, Josh Brolin doing a very good Tommy Lee Jones impression in the 60s and Will Smith hanging out with them. That's pretty fun. Yeah, it's a good time. Honestly, it's, that sounds like an interesting premise, like yeah. like uh, Back to the Future in Black. See, that's the thing. It's a good premise, and they they started making the movie, and they had the premise, and then they didn't have a second or third act, and they figured like, well, we'll make them. We'll get they'll they'll come out when we start <laughs> making the movie. It took a really really long time for them to come out. It took like a whole extra year as this protracted cursed project kind of thing. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, it's not great, but, you know, it's fine. <laughs> okay. <laughs> it's a way better than the second. Well, that's good. <laughs> yeah. And last up is Stay, which is the next one in the Michael J. Murphy Magic Myth and Mutilation box. Uh, it's it's just a romance. Uh, this guy, he's dying. He's got a terminal illness. We don't find that out until, like, half an hour in, I guess, but. It doesn't matter. Uh, he's he's in Greece, and the landlady comes to stay there one night, and they're about the same age, and she's also English, despite them both being in Greece. I don't know why. I can't remember. It just doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, they have a romance. They, they bond, and they uh, fall in love, and then, you know, she goes back to England and runs into this guy's fiancé because he finds out that, you know, she, also she's married, the 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 landlady is also married i don't know uh he it's it's the surprising amount of melodrama for an sub one hour uh, micro budget romance movie (laughs) like just the concept of you doing a micro budget movie that very few people are going to see and you do it's just so strange for this sort of you're so used to it being exploitation it's so weird for it to just be a pretty straightforward melodrama romance hmm. but you know picturesque nice greek locations i guess uh cool i i like nothing wrong with it it's just uh, it's just uh, there's not a lot of flavor to it either <laughs> all right so those are our 14 picks what do you figure um i'm thinking you know, I gotta see. I gotta go with the Nick Cage. I gotta see a Nick Cage movie that I haven't seen. Snake Eyes. It's a good one. I like it a lot. It's one I had always meant to rewatch after quite enjoying it when I saw it in theater. And I think you've seen enough Hitchcock now that you'll pick up on the style that he's using. Like it's a very Hitchcocky style pastiche to it. Okay. Cool. You'll recognize some ropeisms if you, even though you won't pick up on all the men who knew too much stuff, because <laughs> there's a lot of that there too. Okay. So uh, I, I I watched a bunch of stuff this week, and I was doing a bunch of reorg, so I've created some themed stacks. Uh, we've now got uh, an SOV stack. We've got a martial arts stack. We've got a 
uh, a Western stack. We've got a Polizioteschi stack. We've got a Film Noir stack. Cool. And sort of building these out. So in doing all of that reorg and with the removal of the semi-large yokai box, uh, I eliminated a stack. So we're picking from the inactive stacks this week. But I do have a few little additions first. All right. To the main stacks. So uh, for... Uh, introducing the Noir stack, we've got Speaking of Murder. Well, speaking uh, this, of Murder? <laughs> oh, ha, ha, yeah. This is a French Noir, like a, a 50s French Noir, kind of like uh, Quai d'Orfebvre. Okay, cool. I, I did like that quite a bit. And it's like there, there's this garage in Paris that a bunch of thieves are using as their headquarters, and they're all just sort of running jobs at night and sort of using it as like a safe space during the day where they just sort of are legit during the day. But uh, tensions start to arise because they think the guy who owns the place, his little brother, uh, they're they're concerned that he might be snitching to the police. Okay. Yeah. Uh, next, Le Chat dans le Sac. It's a Canadian French New Wave, like a Quebecois French New Wave film. All right. From the 60s. Uh, an angry young man sort of movie. There's a guy who works as a newspaper reporter in Quebec, and he's just an angry fucking guy, just <laughs> at the way of the world. <laughs> <laughs> Next, we've got Firebirds, which is a Nicolas Cage, Tommy Lee Jones helicopter movie that I have never heard of. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, they're fighting the war on drugs. In oh, Apache yeah. Helicopters, Nick Cage, Tommy Lee Jones, 1990. Wild. Okay. <laughs> uh, next, we've got The Assassin of the Tsar, which is a Russian movie from 1990 starring Malcolm McDowell. Oh, okay. And he's this guy who's in an institution, and they're interviewing him because... He says he's the guy who assassinated the last czar and the one before that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and last edition is Death in the Family, uh, which is the next Michael J. Murphy one. And actually, I'm not quite sure. Let me let me see if I can pull up some information on that one because I I don't know. <laughs> uh, the the letterbox description doesn't give us a lot <laughs> a family gathering in greece devolves into deception incest and quite a lot of murder uh, that could almost describe goodbye 20th century yeah less than an hour long too and it's greece <laughs> all of these uh, michael j murphy ones have been in greece so far that's that's interesting because he's like a, a british filmmaker and has no budget oh maybe that's just where he happened to be living at the time I think maybe he like took a trip to Greece and just really acted there. I don't know. <laughs> Could be that too. Could be. Could be. Anyway, so we are not picking from the main stacks. We are picking from the inactive stacks this week. So what do you figure? All right. Well, there's a few things on here. A lot of new there stuff. Always are. Yeah, a lot of new stuff. A lot of stuff that's been on here for a while that I've been meaning to get to. Uh, one thing in particular jumped out at me because just seeing the word got a song stuck in my head. Uh, they'll say, ah, topsy at my ah, topsy. <laughs> yeah, that's a giallo. That is from uh, one of the Vinegar Syndrome Forgotten Jolly box sets. Okay. Uh, it'll take you 
apart. <laughs> this one's one of the more outstanding ones. It definitely stuck in my mind. It's this thing where there's like a rash of suicides and they're investigating it as maybe there's something a little bit more to it. Very strange movie. Okay, I'm into it. Uh, there's also Rikio, otherwise known as Male Prisoner Scorpion. The story of Ricky. Uh, yeah, not so crazy gory. Yeah, we saw it uh, together years and years ago, and it was it, it was pretty wild. And it's a yeah. not so movie, real, real bloody. Mm-hmm. Let's see. There's also Carrie, which uh, which we had talked about and that I had wanted to do. Mm-hmm. That's Brian De Palma as well. Cool. Um, oh, and yeah, he did he did Snake Eyes, right? So that would be. Yeah, there's a couple of Brian DeFamas on here because I've been watching a bunch of his stuff. So Raising okay. Cain and Carrie are both him. Well, why don't I do something a little different and intentionally make a themed episode? And let's do Carrie and um, uh, Snake Eyes. All right. So two De Palma pictures, because I don't think you have much familiarity with De Palma. I don't think I do. You've maybe seen Untouchables? I haven't seen Untouchables. Oh, interesting. I don't know what you would have seen other than like those Mission Impossible, maybe. Actually, that's another De Palma that's on here right now. <laughs> uh, I've seen the first two Mission Impossibles, but I remember first nothing. one's him. Yeah, he did okay. the first one. Uh, that's actually the movie he did just before uh, Snake Eyes, I believe. Oh, OK. Yeah. But yeah, Carrie, also the first Stephen King adaptation, which will be interesting because, you know, we've covered a bunch of Stephen King adaptations and oh, talked about his lot, themes. We? Yeah. And this one definitely has a lot of his themes right there at ground zero, especially just the turbocharged bullying, which <laughs> is Travolta, John Travolta. John Travolta's the bully? He's like the main bully. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, geez, Carrie. Yeah, he is the guy with the bucket of blood. Uh, oh. Wild movie. Uh, that'll be fun to cover. So, cool. two De Palmas next week with Carrie and Snake Eyes. Uh, that should be fun times. Do you have uh, any last thoughts before we close for this week? Uh, just one. I think about this show and I think, I did it my way. Uh, all right, thanks everyone so much for listening and Spogam na dve setyot vek.